I don't know if you heard it, but I I got it. it. Sounded good to me. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Movie Boners, everybody. Holy crap! Season three of Movie Boners. It's been a little bit, but I'm very excited. Yeah. Oh my god, we've got so many cool things coming up that I'm like. I want to do them all right now. I'm kind of getting impatient. That's tasty. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for this season and this year. Uh, We got we got some pretty cool things coming your way, folks. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that later, though. So today, beers. uh, My beer. Wait, what does this say? Oh, interesting. I didn't see that before. Um, So my beer is from the Weldworks Brewing Company. Look at that. Like today's episode, it's a little meta. And <laughs> and it'll make more sense later on. But uh, it's called Out Forgiving Your Enemies. It has this weird little... It's like a beer can <laughs> with a Superman cape on. Yeah. It's called Out Forgiving Your Enemies. And this little beer uh, bottle on the cape, it says, I was the true hero in my own story. Okay. Uh, and uh, okay. I feel like out forgiving your enemies is, you know, it's kind of a, a Buddhist kind of a it, it, philosophy. Well, it, it works, especially for like part three. Yep. Um, maybe a little bit into part four. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll get to I it. I guess I should tell you what the heck it is. Uh, it's a yep. double IPA. Uh, Brewed with several different kinds of hops, eight point one percent. So should be fun, fun times. Oh man, we're both having fun down this rabbit hole today. <laughs> um, so the design of the can, although cool, has nothing to do with the episode. So I'm not going to bother really showing it. But the name of it mm-hmm. is Dream Crusher. Nice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and it is a double rye IPA. Mm. A rye yeah. IPA. That's interesting. And it is really freaking good, man. And it's brewed in Dallas, Texas at Deep Elium Brewing Company. Mm. Elium Brewing. Elum. Deep Elum. <laughs> you got there eventually. <laughs> yep, eventually. That's interesting. I really uh, like oh. uh, rye as a grain in rye whiskeys. So I feel like I would like that in a beer as well. It's pretty good. And I just noticed. It is a 9.5%. Damn, son. So, looks like I'm nursing this guy all, <laughs> all afternoon. It's going to be a fun franchise episode, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So, I am, before we get into our little, like, uh, little homework notes to get out of the way, yeah. dude, I am stoked for this episode. You know that. I am very excited for this episode. My daughter has been rolling her eyes at me because I've been so excited about this one. Uh, you told me a, a this couple is, so, of weeks ago, I don't remember if you told me on an episode or just in real life, that The Matrix is maybe one of the, is the best movie of all time, potentially. It, I honestly, dude, you know, I get asked all the time, mm-hmm. especially ever since we started Movie Boners, mm-hmm. of well, what's your all-time favorite movie? And I'm always like, everyone expects me to tell them, like, The Dark Knight. Which, honestly, it it pretty much is. Mm. But I always feel like just going with Batman is too obvious. And not to take anything away from Batman or anything, uh, The Dark Knight is a perfect film. But 
honestly, I mean, The Matrix has been like that movie for me. It changed the whole course of movie watching for me, mm-hmm. storytelling, and I'm going to go into further stuff about it. It's got crazy sentimental value to it. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly think like The Matrix is my all-time favorite movie, so... It just, I always go back to it. And yeah, I am, this is going to be like uh, my Forrest Gump episode. Nice. Where you were really excited about that. Yeah. This is that for me. But yeah, so th- this episode is a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's going to get wordy, folks. <laughs> I apologize, but not really. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to hear all about it. And I have a lot of opinions about it. It's kind of a... It's a very complicated franchise to get into, dude. I I saw a recent thing with Keanu Reeves about like understanding the Matrix, mm-hmm. and he flat out said like I don't think I'll ever fully understand <laughs> the entirety of the Matrix. It's just something that you constantly have to revisit, yeah. and you just understand more and more of it as you revisit it. Mm-hmm. But to fully understand it might not be a thing, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I kinda kind of get what, that. Kind of like the journey to enlightenment in that kind way. of. Oh <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna be going. <laughs> Folks, this rabbit hole is most likely gonna get nuts. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for it. But before But we, before we take that red pill <laughs> before we go down the rabbit hole, we have some announcements, uh well a announcement and then some other like homework stuff. So yeah, yeah. we have launched a merch store. We've had a lot of uh, longtime super fan listeners ask us about merch. Uh, finally figured out a good way to do it. Finally had some logos and stuff we thought was cool enough to worry about doing that. So uh, it's through Teespring. If you go to our social media, it's linked all over there now. Um, yep. There's hoodies and T-shirts and stickers and a pint glass for those of you that opened beers with us at the beginning of each episode. Uh, and uh, so our plan for it. Right now, it's kind of a, a thank you for our like our listeners, like all of yep. the people that have been supporting us, sharing the message of the movie boners. Uh, we wanted to say thank you. So everything there is as cheap as we could possibly make it, and <laughs> we just want to get it in your hands, get it out in the world, and uh, say thank you that way. And then we also plan to keep it kind of revolving, release some new stuff. We have a couple of new uh, logos and stuff that are really cool coming up in the future yeah so this will be kind of like uh they'll be there for like a quarter or so we haven't really honed in on the the length of time that they'll be available but the idea is to keep i the merch fresh Mm -hmm. um and just kind of come up with some new stuff i am so excited for one of the designs that we will Mm -hmm. share with everyone a little bit down the road while we like really iron it out but this design oh my fucking god i love it <laughs> yeah yeah and you had the really good idea and i think is what we'll do is to keep the releases kind of limited and uh yeah. special so when a design leaves it's not going to come back the same way and so those of you that get in now you're kind of the founders you're the early birds the ogs and uh yeah nobody else will have this later on when it gets popular or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> but either way, uh, we really appreciate everyone listening, watching, all that. Keep sharing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, go buy some cool, silly movie boner shit. Yeah. And uh, 
hopefully it'll become a talking point for out in the public. I know when I wear my movie boners t-shirt, mm-hmm. I definitely notice people giving me the like second glances. <laughs> does that shirt say what I think it says? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so go check it out. Uh, and send us like, if you order shit, mm-hmm. send us pictures of it. You know, wearing it out in that. Yeah, tag us in it. public or whatnot. Tag us in it and all that good stuff. So go check it out. Very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that'd be very yeah. cool. Yeah, and if you have suggestions, ideas, designs, we're open to, to stuff. So definitely reach out. This is a group project. Yeah, so very excited for what's coming. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I wanted to do, we did it last week. Wanted to make it like a segment of the podcast. I'll keep. I like that you said last week. Last, we haven't last episode. <laughs> it's been a three or so weeks. Um, new new things we're watching. I have been mm-hmm. catching up on a lot of new stuff. Uh, not whatever. You've probably just been binging Yellowstone the whole okay, time. Okay. Yes, I have been binging Yellowstone, <laughs> and called it and uh, 1883, the spinoff of Yellowstone, and. Uh, actually, there's another show, The King of... What the fuck is that show called? <laughs> it's another uh, Taylor Sheridan show on Paramount about this like island. It's not an island. It's a community of prisons, basically. There's just a bunch oh, of okay. prisons in a narrow area. And it has... Uh, t- uh, what? Uh, God dang, I wasn't ready to talk about this show. What is this show? At all. King That's of... Okay. Uh, Okay, well, you're really throwing me off here. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do anything. I made one sarcastic comment of, Uh you've probably just been binging Yellowstone like crazy, and you went into the spinoff, and now another show from the same creator. (laughs) So it's called The Mayor of Kingstown. It's a oh, I know what show you're talking about. Is that the one with uh, Jeremy Renner? Yeah, Jeremy Renner, Diane Weist, and Kyle Chandler. And uh, it's pretty darn good. It's pretty darn good. But I have not watched that much of that. In the movie world, I watched Antlers finally. Uh, oh, don't tell me anything. I, have, I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I love Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons. They're both great. The Wendigo is cool. It's a cool movie. The Monster is cool. I liked it. Uh, cool. I watched this random-ass movie. It's a Hulu original with Chloe Grace Moretz called Mother Slash Android. And it's like... Uh, and I think Matt Reeves produced it. It was somehow related to the Batman. And uh, it was a pretty interesting movie. It's like if A Quiet Place and iRobot had a baby where there's like uh, all the androids kind of go crazy and start chasing people. It's like a zombie movie with androids kind of. And uh, and they need to to, like try to get to a safe zone while she's pregnant and... uh, and not make noise because the androids will find them and hunt them down and chase them and stuff. It's pretty crazy. Oh, weird. I thought it was cool. Okay. Okay. Uh, I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife finally. All right. <laughs> and it was fun. I, I liked it, but I, and this is, complaint's going to come up a couple times. I'm noticing a trend that I'm kind of getting over, which is the format where Remember berries. Yeah. The format where a sequel comes out decades later and literally does the exact same thing as the original. <laughs> and even throughout the story makes fan service references or has an original characters return. It feels like the force awakens model. 
and it needs to stop. I am done with all that kind of thing. It was fun. I love Paul Rudd. I like all the characters in it. It was certainly better than the 2016 Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because it is a it's still centered on this girl who is interested in science and all this stuff. It's a female-centered yeah. movie, but it's just an interesting difference. Yeah, I, I really like the new Ghostbusters. Um, I did have the thought of, like, Jake will enjoy this movie, but he will say, <laughs> I'm kind of tired of just, like, being over member berries of everything. Yeah. yeah. So, called it. Uh, <laughs> You're right about that. Um, <laughs> and on in that vein, I saw Spider-Man No Way Home. Yes, you did. It was very fun, very member berries for anybody who's seen. Yeah, but their <laughs> member berries is different. It is different. It's theirs was like different. it served an actual purpose to the story. Yeah, and I so I wrote a whole. Oh yeah, we have a blog on our site mm-hmm. now. Uh, more to come. Jake has the first one up there. It's hilarious. Please go read it. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be posting my first one, which is not hilarious, but super like uh, sentimental, mm-hmm. if you will, all about Spider-Man No Way Home, because that movie, like, it's my favorite MCU movie ever. Uh- <laughs> yeah, it's pretty massive, and I think it, it, it's very interesting. I think the multiverse is the most interesting thing about the MCU and comics in general, and I made me more interested in the new Doctor Strange movie with Scarlet Witch um, for that reason. So it it accomplished what it should have. It was a fun time. Not really anything wrong with it overall. Completely randomly, I also saw a movie called The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which was, it has Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. It's interesting. I really liked The Lobster. I know you didn't really like The Lobster. But And I thought the concept of Dogtooth was fascinating. The guy who made mm-hmm. those two movies also made this movie, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And it's a lot like Dogtooth in pacing and style. It's very slow. It's a horror movie. It's an extremely different kind of horror movie. And if you kind of wait out the slowness, it gets pretty wild. But... okay everyone's behavior and dialogue feels like they have Asperger's the whole time. Like these like (laughs) big serious actors deliver these lines in ways that are so different than I've ever seen before. And it's, I think it just adds to the off puttingness. So I liked it. I thought it was very different, very weird, but kind of cool. Um, So it was fun. Yeah. I was very interested in it. And then I watched the lobster Mm -hmm. And was very like, well, I don't know if I want to watch anything by this guy anymore. Because <laughs> I really did not like The Lobster at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, would say, I would say it's different enough from The Lobster. The Lobster is a love story and this is a horror movie. Yeah. Um, but I still, like, it keeps popping up on my, like, what I, I think it's on Netflix right now, where it keeps popping up on movies you might like list. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, eh, one of these nights I'll watch it. And then I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to rewatch something else. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's weird. It's very different and probably not for everybody. And then I guess the only other thing I watched, I watched Tiger King season two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, yeah, you know, I, I watched that. 
and uh, it was it was I, kind of like a member berries thing because it took me back to the beginning of pandemic when it was like well, the most popular thing everybody was talking about. So I enjoyed season two of Tiger King, but I don't know if the first season of Tiger King like just completely set that bar too high or mm -hmm. just made every other absurd, ridiculous thing going on with that world. Mm -hmm. um, if it just kind of made all that seem like, I don't know. The second season, I thought like, this is wild. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, it's not, <laughs> I'm not really sh like surprised or shocked by anything yeah. going on right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do feel the same way where I was like, yeah, it, this is, this is now normal, which is kind of a sad thought, but yeah, it's totally normal. Well, and then they made uh, the spinoff about uh, what's his name? Doc something. Uh, the the weird culty guy who's oh, got like the yeah. polygamy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they made a spinoff on him. I have not watched it yet, primarily because one, I already know the fucker doesn't go to jail like he should, <laughs> and also cult kind of mentality freaks me out, and I'm not sure that I want to watch a whole thing about him. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Although, speaking of, like, culty things freaking me out, mm -hmm. did you see they are making a movie about uh, Jim Jones and mm -hmm. his whole cult? No. Do you know who is in talks to play him? Oh, wait. I feel like I might know this. Once you say Leonardo it. DiCaprio. Yes. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm going to have to sit through, like, a three-hour biop. Uh -huh. about this shit and i am going to hate every second of it <laughs> yeah I, I feel like that's great casting he's charismatic enough to pull it off i think yeah and then another fun news um martin scorsese is getting ready to make a mini series i think it's on hulu will be on hulu uh about H.H. H. Holmes, it'll be based on mm -hmm. Devil in the White City, the book. Please go read that book. It's so fucking good. Um, Keanu Reeves is in talks to play H.H. H. Holmes. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was like, mm -hmm. all right, totally down with that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been following the, the Scorsese trying to do that for a long time. I feel like it was on Amazon, but maybe it moved. I kind of hope it's on Hulu. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's because I, I feel like, well, I don't know. I haven't really watched any of the Amazon shows, mm. just a few of the movies, and have not been wildly impressed with their movies so okay. far, so I'm hoping it's on Hulu. I've liked a couple of their um, shows, but I do feel like Hulu is upping their game um, yeah. with like that stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I have not really watched anything super brand new. Uh, I've just been kind of prepping for our episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been watching movies for our third episode of this new season. <laughs> so the episode that'll be two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I've been prepping that. Um, just kind of revisiting some other movies. Like I rewatched... Seven Psychopaths. And Great movie. For yeah, I just I was like, man, Jake talked about it all the time. I haven't watched it in forever. And then rewatched it and was like, this is so much better. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's so good. Go watch go watch Seven Psychopaths. Um and then like just with watching all this other stuff, 
I've just kind of been doing like a mental palate cleanse at the end of the night and started rewatching Friends because I'm a 90s kid and that's what we do. <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we are doing the exact same thing except we're about to finish our binge of Friends. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. And then I've been watching a show on Netflix with my daughter. Uh, we've been watching that Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Okay. It's an animated Jurassic Park mm. show on Netflix. Interesting. It's pretty interesting. It takes place during um, Jurassic World and then shortly after, like six months or so after the events of Jurassic World. It takes place okay. on the island. Interesting. It's, I mean, it's like a slightly grown-up kid show. Yeah. Slightly. Like, there's no blood, but you still see dinosaurs and people get eaten. Okay. So. Yeah. That's been kind of... It, it's a humorous show. It's fun. And then, uh, I guess I, I did start... Okay, so we told everyone at length during our Akira episode, <laughs> like, we're not anime folk. Mm -hmm. um, but my daughter has gotten me to start watching Demon Slayer. Mm which is like the huge anime show that's going on right now. So I've started watching that and I will fully admit it's got some pretty cool things in it. So okay. I really like the demons that are in it. They look cool. They're fun and it's an interesting story. So cool. I guess that's the newest thing that I've been watching. Um, other than that. Yeah, I haven't really like watch anything new. It's weird. Like I watched Spider-Man and Matrix 4 and I'm just waiting for Scream. Yeah. So you said you've watched <laughs> Spider-Man like three different times and Yeah, I've seen Spider-Man three times. Matrix 4 a handful uh, of times. Yeah, I've watched Matrix 4 two or three times now. Um but I I rewatched both movies for different reasons. Yeah, Spider-Man just kind of like it struck everything that's in me as a Spider-Man in general fan from like childhood to now. Mm -hmm. uh, it also kind of like really surged my fandom for comic books and the stories and these characters. Uh, it, it hit me on like a very sentimental kind of nerdy emotional level. Whereas Matrix 4 I watched a couple times just so that I had more talking points for this episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's probably a good transition. I was going to say you talking about anime was a decent transition because I meant to watch the Animatrix, which was like a big thing, and I never did. Oh, yeah, the in-between of the first Matrix and Matrix Reloaded. Yeah. Uh, which really all you need to watch Animatrix for is the fact that the Osiris is trying to get those like uh, the message out, mm -hmm. and they do before they blow up. That's pretty much the entire thing. <laughs> and they mentioned the Osiris once in Matrix Reloaded, and it's a line that most people don't even realize is in the movie. So <laughs> yeah. you're not missing a whole lot, honestly. <laughs> yeah, they kind of forced the tie in there. <laughs> so let's talk about the Matrix franchise and yes. all four movies so far. We're going to do spoilers. So if you haven't seen the fourth one yet, go see it, stream it, do whatever come back yeah uh we're gonna spoil the other three movies those came out in the early 2000s so you should have seen them by now um yep yep so yeah um yeah i've been oh man i've been so excited for this one uh i just thought of something to say and it's gone uh 
Damn. <laughs> oh, I, I like how you said we've watched the first four so far. Uh, they have not actually been greenlit for any mm. further sequels yet. And I'm not sure that they're going to make any more. I don't know either. Um, it's kind of a weird thing where they reopened a series that was closed. It, was, it wasn't yep. really open-ended, at least in my feeling. They reopened it then left it open ended basically so they are essentially rebooting it or it feels like it could be a reboot where they do release another movie but yeah everybody and every interview i've seen with lano with the keanu with everybody they're like yeah i doubt it i don't think so um so, <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of weird <laughs> right uh, we'll, we'll obviously be getting into that, but yeah, there are going to be a ton of spoilers, mm. uh, especially with that fourth one. You almost can't talk about the fourth one without spoiling the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I definitely have some very strong opinions on the fourth movie. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think you and I are probably going to share a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, and I also have some feelings on... Reloaded and Revolutions that are not that popular. Okay. But I have my opinions on it. I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah, let's uh let's dive into the Matrix. Okay. Because this is oh my god, I've been so excited for this one. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a lot of the things that you said to say as well. I think that the Matrix is weird and interesting as a topic, partly because the Wachowskis are weird. And not in the for the reason that most people think that I'm going to say, but they're weird specifically because they're put on this pedestal of like great action directors because of the Matrix. But that's the first movie is really the only great movie that they've ever made. <laughs> they, I mean, Cloud Atlas was good, but I wouldn't say it was. I great. really like Cloud Atlas. I I do really like Cloud Atlas, but I would say it's great on the level of the Matrix. And right. uh, they wrote V for Vendetta. That's a great movie, but they didn't direct it. And they also wrote Assassins, which I like, but not a great movie. Mm -hmm. um, but their other movies, Speed Racer, <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, and Revolutions, and Reloaded, and now Resurrection, all kind of iffy to not great so movies. I, I will say, all right, so Reloaded and Revolutions, I'm actually a big fan of both of them. I genuinely enjoy both of them, Okay, but they are they lack the same feel that that first Matrix had. Neil and I have talked about, and re-watching the, the franchise, uh, getting ready for this, I kind of had like a moment where I went, huh, the Matrix franchise mm -hmm. and the Wachowskis because you brought up like their other uh, films mm -hmm. I was like kind of feel like they are the sci-fi genre of M. Night Shyamalan where they mm -hmm. come out with like the stellar film that just that puts them up on that pedestal yeah. that pretty much becomes the focal point of their entire career. Mm -hmm. Everything will be compared to that one project. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, all the other projects they make fall short of it. Mm -hmm. um, so even though I'm a fan of reloaded and revolutions, I would 
I would say they don't come close to having the same feel or the same just like jaw dropping moments. Um, I think they're still pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the, I, I, the main I, reason for that, I mean, we'll get into it when we get to them, but yeah. the main reason for that has a lot of thing to do with the time they came out, the technical side mm-hmm. of it and everything, and not just the story or the writing or whatever. Right. Directed. But like, so yeah, they wrote assassins, um, but they also wrote and directed a movie called bound, which mm-hmm. is like a, a lesbian, um, crime kind of film. Okay. It's got oh, Gina Gershon, right? And uh, damn it. <laughs> I didn't have it pulled up. I meant to bring it up. With Jennifer Tilly? Jennifer Tilly, Gina Gershon. Um, and Joe Pantoliano, who played Cypher in The Matrix. Yeah. Um, so it, it's like a lesbian crime drama Okay. Movie, I've seen it. It's it's pretty like not great in my <laughs> opinion. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Of course, when I watched it as like a fifteen year old, I thought the one lesbian scene in the whole movie was like, right. oh dang, they're kissing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I I really like Cloud Atlas. I think Cloud Atlas is kind of underestimate or not like it's overlooked heavily yeah. i think it's a beautiful film and the story that they tried to tell through all those different timelines and intertwine so many different actors into mm-hmm. so many different roles it's a huge undertaking and it works for the most part mm-hmm. i think the music is beautiful the movie's really cool i think the complex it's not for everyone the complexity of it gets the closest to what that first matrix captured yeah yeah um Speed Racer, man, I hated that movie for so long, and then like I finally got to a point where I went, "Oh, it's not that bad," and then I've never watched it since because I've just <laughs> never felt the need to, okay, or the drive to. Um, I've never watched Jupiter Ascending. I was going like I, <laughs> I was going to think about seeing it, but even that first trailer, uh-huh. you know how sometimes you watch a movie trailer and immediately you're like, "Nope, oh no, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I texted you this while we were preparing for this episode. I was like, we need to do an episode on Jupiter Ascending because I want you to see it and I want to hear what you think about it. And it is crazy. So I, I'm still up for doing that, especially because like your re, your response to my like, no, I haven't seen it, but I've heard that it's just <laughs> like so bad. And you're like, it's something that triggers my curiosity. So that'll probably be coming soon, folks. Um, (laughs) uh, And then they did something else recently, didn't they? Uh, Not that I know. Or is that it? That couldn't have been it. Actually, it probably was. Yeah, they haven't done much. I mean, they've been busy with other things, I think. Well, they... It's weird because they do like writing, but they don't do the Sense Eight show on uh, Netflix. Oh uh, yeah, I never watched Sense Eight. Oh, I guess that is like their whole career right there. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, so small and simple and kind of crazy that they're put on that pedestal. But also, as good as the Matrix is, makes sense. But it's the Matrix. Yeah, um, yeah, they're they're. 
style of filmmaking, the way they want to tell their stories and film their stories, that's what really makes them kind of oddballs. Mm-hmm. Like, and then I remember when both the Wachowskis announced that they were like going through the sex change, being transgender, and all that. Mm-hmm. And you you normally hear celebrities announcing that, and it, it's more like okay these days, but back then it yeah. was still very like oh my god, what are they doing? Except for when it came to the Wachowskis, I remember <laughs> like the general consensus of people was like. Yeah, but that, that, that kind of that makes sense. That's on point. Yeah, that's okay. That actually explains a lot. <laughs> like, actually, yeah, like cool. All right, <laughs> and you move on. Yeah, um, yeah. It was funny because, like, I thought about it because normally, if I'm a huge fan of a movie by like a writer and director, if they do the whole collaboration, I will generally mm-hmm. seek out their entire filmography. Like, I want all their stuff. Yeah. Except for the Wachowskis. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, why is that? And I was like, well, I have no real desire to watch Speed Racer again. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone was watching it, <laughs> I wouldn't complain. I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, it's the most goofy looking CGI you'll ever see. But yeah. okay, for like three hours, too. <laughs> part of me wonders is, part of me wonders, are they ahead of their time are they so brilliant that there just isn't the technology or the or the human mind we have not even evolved enough to the point of having the ability to formally or conceptualize their ideas on on film the cgi doesn't really cut it the story structure we can, it's like some current structure is just too simple because people like simple things and they just can't put it out there in a way yet that works maybe they have brilliant ideas but the movies haven't worked because they're held back by some standard i don't i really know or um, maybe they're crazy and this is how it <laughs> manifests that they're actually <laughs> delusional people that made something that every that made the matrix and everybody's like the community kind of takes that and they're like let's make this make sense by applying these other philosophies and and all maybe this other i mean okay so that first matrix not only did it just like blow film goers filmmakers i mean everyone associated with movies that first matrix movie came out and everyone was just like, what the fuck yeah. did we just see? Yeah. Everybody. 1999 My was daughter- the point where timeline diverged and filmmaking, action movies, everything, storytelling just changed completely. And honestly, you look at 1999 and you're like, well, what movie may have been the influencer? It's The Matrix. I mean, The Matrix changed everything. Mm-hmm. And it's been spoofed so many freaking time like yeah. not let me correct that the matrix hasn't been spoofed bullet time has been spoofed sure. or reused i think it's like 50 something times in just a couple of years after the matrix came out everyone wanted to use it because yeah. it was so crazy it was revolutionary um, not just in a film sense but just in the the process of setting it up, setting up yeah. all those cameras. The behind the scenes of the Matrix is crazy, where they set up all those different cameras 
and to do this quick shot, it's crazy. Yeah, so I have, um, I actually have, they made a whole separate kind of short film on the making of The Matrix. Mm. It's called The Matrix Revisited. It is the complete behind the scenes, how they set up the shots, how all the different training that the whole cast had to go through, uh, the wire work, all the stunt work that went along with it. Mm-hmm. It is crazy watching these setups. It's crazy watching that amount of green screen, but it translates really well. Um, and I think it's kind of weird. Rewatching the first Matrix, you're like, man, this movie just looks so clean and it fits so well. when i say it looks so clean i mean like everything just fit the green screen that's in it does not immediately jump out at the screen as like yeah. oh okay it's green screen it feels natural mm-hmm. um they did a great job of making sure that while they're inside the matrix things are like slightly green hued and dirty looking when they're in the real world, it's very like organic and kind of like torn, yeah, with like a very, very subtle blue haze to everything. Where I think that's where they really got too caught up in their own creativity with the sequels because the green became, in my opinion, too prominent inside the Matrix, yeah. And then they got kind of weird with the raving, like in Zion and stuff. <laughs> like, okay, I don't think we, we need like an electronic rave in an organic mm-hmm. kind of tribal setting. But yeah, that that'll come when we get to Reloaded. Yeah, I think the um, first one captured so well at using the technology of the time, revolutionizing yeah. the technology of the time to create this new bullet time effect, but still make it feel real, practical effects. That's where the Reloaded loses me some because then they do digitize Matrix to do things that you couldn't really do in real life. So it makes sense, right. but it is more noticeable. It takes you out of it a little bit. It's, it's very noticeable, and unfortunately, it's most notable during two of the coolest action scenes or what should be the coolest action scenes. Yeah. The Burly Brawl is... Like, that's... that. Had to have been so awesome writing that part of the script down of Neo is going to go hand-to-hand combat with, like, 80 Agent Smiths. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be awesome. And it still is very awesome. But it's, like, the CGI work in it Uh just didn't render long enough, maybe? I don't know. Well, it was also 2000 and what? 2003? So... I just think, but even in two thousand three, the best. I remember watching Reloaded and being like, "Wow, that looks very like Mm -hmm. that is like obviously (laughs) painfully obviously (laughs) CGI." Uh, And then, like, even in Reloaded again, the other part that's really bad with the CGI, in my opinion, where it just like it takes you out of the the sequence is the end of the highway sequence. Yeah, when Neo is flying them out of the explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of takes me out a little bit. And then in the third one in Revolutions, the part that I'm always bummed with it, because I'm like, 
you didn't need this, and it really bums me out that they have to do a slow-mo close-up of it, because it just didn't fit the rest of the entire story. Mm. But that slow-motion punch between Neo and Smith, where he punches through the raindrops, yeah. I I hate that shot. <laughs> I hate that shot. Yeah. Because it just, it to me, it's like, I didn't need this. Mm. At no point in the other fight scenes throughout the whole series... Have I needed like a super CGI'd slow mo punch through rain? Like mm-hmm. I don't need it. I don't need to see all the ripples in Agent Smith's face. I just mm-hmm. don't need to see that. Yeah, I I was thinking about that quite a bit. Not that scene specifically, but I think the larger problem that leads up to maybe why they put that in during the whole Matrix evolution of the character of neo he starts as a normal guy builds up his power as he starts to believe in and use the matrix break the boundaries of the matrix and Mm -hmm. he becomes so powerful and so fast that they i think have a trouble showing you how fast and how powerful neo is and how fast and powerful agent smith is so that all those big fights, especially between Agent Smith and Neo, I, I think that they try to go back to, don't forget, they are like, they can move faster than anybody in the world and they can fly and they can do all this stuff. And, and so they try to re-ground you in that reality while also showing you them just fight as normal people with normal gravity and stuff. So I, I thought of that too, like... It's it serves as a reminder of like the super being yeah. that Neo is and the super being that Smith is mm-hmm. at that point, thanks to Neo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I feel like we've already kind of been reminded of that whole sequence as they are fighting in the sky, and every <laughs> time they throw a punch that hit each other at the same time, Mm -hmm. they make sonic booms in the rain. Yeah. So I think we've already established, (laughs) like you've reminded us like six times of how powerful these two actually are. They're pretty evenly matched. I actually, and they do kind of a member Mary thing of like their first fight in the third matrix. Mm -hmm. I still wish even though I, I don't hate revolutions near as much as everybody, well, not everybody, but the general audience mm-hmm. seem to. Um, but I still, to this day, always find myself wishing, you know what would have been a cooler fight between these two? Is if it was just like a solid kung fu mm-hmm. brutal fight. Yeah. Like the aerial fight stuff, yeah, it's cool. It's all right. Mm-hmm. But as a fan of this franchise, as a huge Neo fan mm-hmm. of what Neo like has to go through to get to this point, I still wish it would have gone back to the the real basics of the Matrix mm-hmm. as Neo is learning Kung Fu and learning to fight and stand up to the, essentially, Smith. That first dojo and, scene with Morpheus. Yeah. Dixon. Yeah. Like, I would have loved to see Neo really hitting that point of, like, self-doubt again Mm -hmm. and maybe just having to rebuild the fight you know go back to like the basics of neo yeah 
you know, don't rely on flying away. Because he kind of relies on flying away mm-hmm. in the second one. Uh, I would have loved to see him keep his feet on the ground. Yeah. But that's, we're, we're going into the third one. We should probably go back to the first one. But you, um, you saying that made me think of another idea, which I'm not trying to rewrite the Matrix, but that would have been cool. And it would have been cool if they had not. So Neo's whole thing is that he knows he's in a simulation. He can re- essentially ignore the rules or bend the rules of the simulation where the programs have to follow the rules generally, except for Smith. But it would have been pretty cool if the system was rewriting the rules and Neo wouldn't, wasn't always constantly able to do all these super things. Yeah. He'd have to like relearn them or bend them in a different way. Or if they rewrote the rules so that now he was in a hyper realistic gravity, normal mm-hmm. Kung Fu fight and he can't use his powers because he hasn't figured out what changed or whatever. Right. Especially since when he go re-enters the Matrix and Smith is all-consuming, mm-hmm. and he tells him, look at the world I've created. Do you like what I've done here? I would have thought that Smith rewriting the entire world <laughs> would have put something into place yeah. to control Neo. Yeah. To kind of capitalize on, ooh, I can, I can hold him down a little bit. That would have been cool. To see Neo have like his moment, but again, this is all <laughs> revolutions talk. Um, let's go to the first one. Yeah. Before I go like super wordy on on my <laughs> Matrix talk, uh, you you kick this off. Okay. <laughs> so the first one, obviously, I think it's great as well. The first one is pretty darn perfect for a movie. Dude, uh, a movie even nowadays, it's held up flawlessly i have zero issues with the first movie and i think i think it it, like we said it did revolutionize the technology and influenced everything since i don't think we've had a movie influence film especially action movies like that until maybe john wick john wick may be the next generation which (laughs) is keanu reeves again so that's i kind of I agree with you. I think John Wick has made such a stamp on action mm-hmm. that people are going to start following suit with it. I really do believe that. Yeah. And <laughs> I've heard so many like filmmakers talk about it, and, and I think we've started to see it already. But the first one is so cool. It didn't, even though it did in, like kind of do new things with the bullet time cameras and showed us new ideas, there were a lot of things that it didn't uh invent but maybe just showed western audiences in a new way it uses yeah. so much eastern philosophy which we'll get into in depth later on but also eastern <laughs> uh action films like yeah john woo and, and chow young fat and hard-boiled they were doing all this slow-mo stuff for a long time uh way before uh, all other like there's so much eastern influence in the wachowski style uh which is very interesting but and i think I think it gets credit, but also it's not as big as the Matrix. So how is it going to get as mm-hmm. much credit as it as it really deserves? I guess. Yeah, I think it's. I I have to laugh, and you and I have now mentioned this a few times on our on the show, and just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wachowski. I mean, anime was so influential in the Matrix. Yeah. So it's, I still have to laugh at myself for being such a Matrix fan. (laughs) 
and then not being a big fan of its influencers. I don't know what that says or if that's like really a normal thing, but uh, it was funny. Like, and I really, it was so prominent to me when we watched Akira mm-hmm. and seeing certain parts and just the the timing of Akira, the storytelling, how it like escalated out of nowhere, and you find yourself at one point going, "How did we get here?" Yeah, like weren't we just just driving a motorcycle on the road? <laughs> Matrix is kind of that way where you're like, "How did we get to this point mm-hmm. where Neo is like controlling the Matrix around him as a helicopter's crashing into a building?" He was just in the back seat of a car having the fucking tracer get pulled out of his yeah. out of his gut um but it, it is it cracks me up and i i kind of want to go back and rewatch akira again which i've been meaning to anyways but now just to like all right i want to specifically watch for the moments in these animes mm-hmm. and mangas that directly influence the wachowskis on the images, the storytelling, kind of the creation of these characters. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I had to laugh because when I rewatched the series, this, you know, getting ready for this, I want to say this week, but I watched it like <laughs> two weeks ago. Um, I was like, dude, the matrix is essentially the only great live action anime mm-hmm. that we've gotten. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like it's the only one that has worked perfect and it's not even anime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And when you were talking about uh, revolutions when their their power level is so big that they're creating sonic booms and stuff, it reminded me of like Dragon Ball Z where they yeah. go super saiyan and they're a little bit crazier than any hero has ever been before <laughs> on a whole nother level and that's kind of what the matrix becomes and it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I had that thought rewatching. I was like, "This is." I almost feel like I'm a very hypocritical movie fan, which we've already joked so many times mm-hmm. that we are. Yeah, where I'm like, maybe I should force myself to become a huge anime fan just because <laughs> I'm such a Matrix fan. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to like both, but mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, you still uh, have that, even if you don't like it, you have a, a, a humble respect for Yeah, I, I can respect the, the influence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that first Matrix is so... Man, I remember seeing the previews for it for the first time, and the previews didn't really show you a lot, except mm-hmm. it was that kind of trailer where your brain still broke after a 30-second <laughs> slot, where mm-hmm. you were like, wait a minute, I can't even figure out what they were just trying to tell me. Yeah. And, like, I remember telling my daughter before she watched it last year, like, what The Matrix was about. And I was telling her, like, okay, so essentially it's in the future where machines, so, like, robots and technology have become so, like, self-aware and sentient that they are controlling the world and they use humans as batteries. And she was like, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, and we live in a computer simulation. Yeah. Stop it, Dad. Just stop (laughs) it. But that that's also something that has, like, kind of been really shocking to me of the influence that the first Matrix really made on the world was not just in filmmaking and in Hollywood, but in general philosophy. Yeah. It 
blew up the notion and the idea of the theory that we actually do live in a simulation. Now, I am not one that goes down this path. Uh, for long-time listeners, you know, I tend to not follow the rabbit hole down the conspiracy theory, but <laughs> I still crack up of how, like, The Matrix is no longer just mentioned in, like, oh, it's a great movie. The Matrix is used as, like, no, we live in the Matrix. We like this is a real thing. <laughs> like, okay, folks. <laughs> Have you heard of Matrixism? There's a yeah. There's an actual like religion that formed because of the people's minds latched on to the ideas of the movie so much that they made an actual religion that yeah. basically follows the principles of of these ideas, and they're very based in accepting all of these other religions that kind of that fed into the matrix films and they are part of this this overall story of predicting that there is a one and we're in a simulation and we need to take the red pill and all this stuff it's crazy yeah it it is wild to me that we are in 2022 and the influence that the matrix the first matrix movie had on the world mm -hmm. is still arguably just as strong as when it came out in 1999 yeah. where it just you get new audiences that watch it you know with the fourth one coming out you know so many youngsters got introduced to the matrix trilogy mm -hmm. and depending on their age uh, probably had no clue what the hell they were watching yeah i sat my daughter down to watch the matrix last year and was like okay you're not going to understand the movie. Mm -hmm. You're going to be confused, but the action sequences mm -hmm. are going to be really cool. And you're going to love those. She was like, okay, <laughs> that opening sh like shot scene with Trinity. Mm -hmm. My daughter was immediately like, what? <laughs> I was like, just wait. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, then, and then the story evolves from there. And by the time the movie ended, I look at my daughter I'm like, wasn't that amazing? She goes, I don't like my brain hurting this much because of a movie. I was like, okay, did you at least like the action? She goes, yeah, the action was cool, but I don't want to watch that again. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, kid, don't feel bad. No one gets the movie. <laughs> it's great sci-fi on the level of like 1984, where yeah. that book came out way ahead of its time. And now it kind of becomes a, a benchmark for people and you're like hey maybe this was a warning that we should have adhered to the matrix is that as well where as we get closer and closer to ai as we get closer and closer to facebook's metaverse where we're all going to live in vr constantly that maybe this is a warning sign that the wachowskis <laughs> had they came back from the future to warn us uh hey don't go down this path but we're going to do it anyway yeah, but we're doing it anyway. It's it's bad. Um, we're gonna. Try, I'm going to try. I can't promise Jake won't veer off. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. No offense. I'm going to attempt to keep it as movie focused as possible. But I promise you, we're probably gonna venture into a lot of the like theories and all mm. that. But I mean, the philosophies of the Matrix is crazy because, and you've mentioned it a couple times now. Uh, it draws a lot of influence mm -hmm. from like Buddhism um, and a lot from Christianity, which yeah. if you're wondering how it does that, did you watch the movie? The name of the ship is Nebuchadnezzar. There are scriptures mm -hmm. in the film. Neo as the, the one savior. savior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many influences on that level. Um, it's, it's 
very interesting because the the whole philosophy of the matrix and neo and all of this stuff is not only influenced by these other religions but it's influenced by by everything it's by like by the universe essentially by the, yeah. the characters and the stories and movies and books uh, there was a really interesting thing kind of talking in general about all of the matrix uh lana wachowski gave an interview and kind of talked about how what they were trying to achieve with the story and they kind of wanted the audience to go through the three movies and experience something similar to what the main characters experience kind of while they're in the movies. And I think the, they, she said that the first movie is sort of typical in its approach. And the second movie is deconstructionist. It assaults all the things that you thought to be true in the first movie. Yep. And then, and so many people were very upset and they were like, stop attacking me in the same way that people get upset by deconstructionist <laughs> philosophy. And then, the third movie is the most ambiguous because it asks you to actually participate in constructing the meaning of it. And I think that's largely why it got the lowest rating. I don't think it's the worst movie, but people have the worst impression of it because it didn't tell them what it meant. It didn't give them it, a, a nice happy yeah. ending. I've, I've always said that uh, the Matrix sequels... So the second one... I. I don't know. When the second one came out, I remember people being fans of it. I remember telling people, like, oh, Reloaded was cool. I remember working at Showtime when it came out on uh, DVD and people rented it and came back and were like, dude, this movie was killer. Like, I have no clue what the architect was talking about, but this was awesome. Um, and then when Revolutions came out, that was the one I remember a lot of people being like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, and I still kind of hold on to the thought, is I think people were bummed that the whole Matrix trilogy was spoiled in the first Matrix. Yeah. They tell you, here is what is going to happen. Yeah. This is the only path where there can be peace, where like <laughs> things can change. Neo, you're gonna die. Mm. And people assumed like him getting shot at the end of the first Matrix was, oh, that was it. No, <laughs> the dude has to die. <laughs> like, yeah. He's actually gotta die. <laughs> and he does. Yeah. Um, so I always assume people were just bummed that they were told what would happen. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. So I kind of respect the Wachowskis for keeping up and following through with, no, we told the audiences, mm -hmm. especially with the, the architect, like, yeah, we're going to destroy everything you thought to be true. And then we're going to tell you, hey, by the way, this is like the sixth version. Yeah. And we're going to make more. And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like the whole thing of the Matrix is that there is a... Uh, What's the word where Morpheus is following this prediction or I don't know. Oh, the, uh, the prophecies. Prophecy. He's following a prophecy that there is a one. He needs to do these things and he's going to save us and release everybody from the Matrix or whatever. And so when that, the, the struggle of the movie is, is that philosophy going to come true? Is that prophecy going to come true? Or is someone going to fail? Is someone going to reject it? And it's not. And I think it's the, the, the struggle is they get close so many times to being pulled away from not fulfilling the prophecy 
And then yeah. they ultimately do, and it goes according to plan. And it's if, in hindsight, it's not as interesting. But watching it and all the times where Neo could have walked away or somebody could have interrupted it, um, like Cypher or whatever, there's so many, well, I guess, uh, struggles in, in the film that keep it interesting throughout. So even though it does end up doing exactly what they said would do, uh, there were so many times where you're like, I don't think they're going to make it. And that makes it so exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so all, all the like crazy philosophy, all that kind of stuff aside. Um, so the matrix for me, and if you've listened to our very first episode ever, I kind of talked not super in depth, like not deep dive at least uh, of what that first matrix actually like the fan that I am of it. Mm -hmm. So that was the first rated R movie that I got to see in the theater. I got to see it with my brother and my dad. And so every time I watch it, mm -hmm. uh, my brain immediately hits the like nostalgia of sitting in that theater seat with my mom or with my brother and my dad sitting next to me and watching the story unfold. Mm -hmm. uh, I, so the matrix hits a very deep emotional kind of, uh, core like court for me but i remember watching that movie and just being blown away with the complexity of the story because up to that point i hadn't really seen any movie that was crazy complex that was like very you have to use your brain and you have to keep up with what the dialogue is telling you yeah like you have to keep up. If you don't keep up, you have no clue what's going on for the rest of the film. You know, the, I think the closest one to that would be like the Terminator, mm -hmm. the first two two Terminator movies, um, or three, because the third one had had come out. But the third one is, meh. Um, <laughs> but that was like the closest to like super complex sci-fi. Yeah, with this whole idea of machines actually being in control and how do we stop the machines or mm -hmm. can you stop the machines? How do you adapt to life and all that? Um, but the storytelling structure in The Matrix really blew me away because it, it's my favorite kind of version of like the hero's tale, mm -hmm. mainly because instead of the hero finally being like, oh, I believe in myself finally, Neo never actually believes in himself. Yeah. Even when he like comes back, after being shot by Smith, he's not back because he believed in himself. He came back because Trinity, like, used some crazy uh, powers. She has Disney kind magic of, to kiss him. Yeah, yeah, to kind of resurrect him. And he comes back and suddenly he sees, like, the Matrix for what it really is, where he actually sees all the code. Mm -hmm. um, but at, at, like, no point does he believe in himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such an interesting take where he he operates solely after that moment throughout the whole franchise, mm -hmm. that includes the fourth one, of never actually believing in himself. Yeah. He everything he does from that point on is all for Trinity and it's all for Zion. Mm -hmm. Nothing else. Like, <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah, it's my favorite version of the hero's journey as well, where especially early on when he's approached with this absurd idea, these agents are after him, Morpheus calls him, and he 
goes out on the ledge and Morpheus is like, just trust me, just do it. And he rejects it. He's like, no, yeah. fuck this. I'm going back <laughs> right. and gets captured and goes through that whole ordeal. But throughout he, he is told constantly by the Oracle, by everybody, you, you just believe. Well, the Oracle tests his belief by being like, she doesn't tell him he's not the one. She asks him and he tells her, I'm not the one. And she's like, well, if that's what you believe. <laughs> so his meeting with the Oracle, that first meeting with the Oracle, it is one of my favorite scenes in that whole movie. Yeah. Which is great because there's like no action. It's strictly di like all dialogue. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people confuse the dialogue. I have seen so many people that are like, the Oracle tells him he's not the one. Yeah. Definitely. No, she doesn't. No, she asks him. She's like, "What do you think?" Like, I, I wrote it down. I forget what she says, but she's like, essentially, you, you are whatever you believe you are, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and and he's, he's like, like he, he says, "I'm, I'm not the one, am I? I know I'm not. I'm not the one." And she's like, <laughs> "Well, he." So she does that line of like, "I like you, kid," and he goes, "But," <laughs> and right there, she's like. Oh, he's self-doubting right now. And I love her line here, and this is the line that everyone confuses, where she tells him, but it looks like you're waiting for something. Yeah. And I can't, like, I can't give it to you. I can't tell you. And he takes that, as well as the whole audience took that as, like, oh, she just told him he's not the one. And it's like, no! She told him, like, no, you are expecting to be told something instead of just believing in it and yeah. believing in yourself. You need to figure this out on your own. Yeah. I can't Stop waiting <laughs> and just do it. Just yeah, be the I, one. I, th I think it's one of the greatest interpretations of the, like, I can show you the door, but you're the one that has to go through it. Yeah. It, which is funny, because that's also the line that she <laughs> says to him. <laughs> but, you know, she points out the sign to him in Latin where it's know thyself. Mm -hmm. um, and even when he looks at it and looks back at her, you can tell that he's still like, yeah, I don't know, because even before he was unplugged, he was living a dual life that neither was very lucrative yeah. for him. <laughs> like the black market programming and all that. Yeah, he made money, but he looks freaking miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His day job, he looks freaking miserable. <laughs> yeah, I... Go ahead. I, yeah, I like that dual life where he's kind of a... A, he's just working a normal desk job by day, and then he's a underground black, like uh, dark web hacker at night, and has the code name Neo, and he's hacking stuff. And so he knows the Matrix exists. He knows about Morpheus, and he kind of knows all of these little things, but he doesn't really know where it's going to lead. And yeah. when Trinity comes to him and tells him everything that he knows he like she basically confirms everything that he knows is real and that he should come with her and all this stuff uh that's that's very interesting but my favorite part of the series and i think we brought it up or at least you brought it up in the top 10 villains episode where agent smith as this force unstoppable force <laughs> duality of of neo as well where he's kind of oh, throughout the series that he's kind of the opposite version of him um 
he's the best part. He is probably the best villain of all time. He is so, <laughs> so powerful. <good. laughs> and and especially where he maintains the the essence or the illusion of the matrix as hard as possible. He always calls Neo Mr. Anderson or Thomas Anderson essentially using his slave name and not his like real name uh Neo yeah. because he refuses to accept the fact that you're Neo. You are Thomas Anderson, this guy who's this number on this uh, cell of batteries in the machine. Well, yeah, it's great. So Smith, excluding the fourth movie, and we'll get to that. <laughs> um, Smith calls him Neo like twice mm -hmm. in the trilogy. Mm -hmm. Once is the interrogation room where he only refers to him as Neo because he's reading yeah. the dossier. You're on using it. the hacker alias Neo. Yeah. Neo. And then he says it again one more time in the third movie right before the fight turns on him. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not even technically him saying it. So it still doesn't fully count. It's just <laughs> his voice. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the duality of Smith and Neo. And I think it's great right out of the gate when you meet Smith. Like their first interaction together. Mm -hmm. They work perfect as... The yin and yang, yeah, like yin and yang, um, where both they they kind of have to feed off of each other in a, in order to pro, like progress through the world. Mm -hmm. Neither are going to make it very far without the other one there, which I think is a very cool, interesting uh, thing. Every great hero and supervillain combo mm -hmm. have always had to have that kind of dynamic where like you wouldn't quite be you if it wasn't for me yeah and it works great with these two i love agent smith i think he is one of the most intimidating villains mm -hmm. like watching that first matrix the whole time you're just dude this guy i would not ever want to be in a room with this dude i just wouldn't want to be near him yeah like ever <laughs> <laughs> right, he's so scary, and the, and the way Hugo Weaving plays him, the way he talks in that cadence is yeah. iconic. It's amazing, and it it's constant. Like you feel uncomfortable while he's monologuing, and he monologues like crazy. Yeah, um, <laughs> his whole idea of like inevitability, mm -hmm. which kind of hits differently in these days now where you're like, oh my God, you brought it up <laughs> earlier with like our pursuit of AI. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, there's a bad inevitability that's coming our way. You should probably knock this crap off. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the monologues and the, the ideas, everybody remembers the matrix as an action movie and a complex sci-fi movie. But the ideas for real life is kind of like where I spend the most time. Oh, yeah. And, and Agent Smith has another monologue when he's talking to Morpheus right after they capture Morpheus. Dude, his monologue to Morpheus is <laughs> off the yeah. chart. Oh, my God. <laughs> he talks about the first Matrix that they made and how they made it to be a perfect utopia. But people's minds rejected it because we need that, like, struggle. We need that, like... <laughs> That, that difficulty in life, if it's too good, then we're like, this isn't real. This sucks. And, <laughs> but so they needed to make the world pretty shitty for people to actually believe that it was a real experience. Yeah. yeah because we like, we have to, how does he word it? It's a uh, oh, man. 
Like, we have to be controlled in order to be happy. Yeah. Very, like, you watch it in 1999, you watch it throughout the early 2000s, mid-2000s, and you're like, yeah, yeah. You watch it post-2020, and you're like, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) You're like... Yeah. Like, it's almost painful because it's, like, true. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many, like, feelings in this movie that are relatable, and that's yeah. a big one. Um, there's a, but there's a lot of different ones. One of the ones that that I always gravitate to, going back to when Neo goes to see the Oracle, um, I and he talks to that kid about the spoon, and the kid tells him that there is, like, just remember that there is no spoon. And it, it's always interesting. I'm always interested in how Neo must be feeling being told he's the one by Morpheus, by all these people, but then walking into that place with all these other kids who are way more advanced than he is, have all these abilities, and I'm sure that he can't help but feel like he's way behind, and he's like, if I am going to be the one, I'm like, that kid should be the one. He already is bending spoons. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And I think that that girl's making blocks float around. That's so relatable (laughs) as like an audience where I'm like, I want to do these things. I should do these things, but I'm way behind. And so why even bother? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, there is no spoon, man. That line is just so cool to me. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea, and if you even pass like Neo using that as kind of his tool as a reminder of what he's actually capable of, you know, with the whole lobby scene, him going in to rescue Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost like a, a life lesson. Yeah. You could use it, use it in the, the f- idea of like, I can do this. I am capable of this. That obstacle that I have mm-hmm. convinced myself is in my way actually yeah. isn't in my way. All of the obstacles um, preventing you from achieving what you want are in your mind. They're yeah. They're you pre- holding yourself back where you could free your mind and and achieve them. Yeah, it's and you know so the last couple of years personally, I mean, mental health why mental health is always a huge factor, but. It, like, hey, I've had some rough patches the last two years. Rewatching The Matrix and going through that uh, journey with Neo during that first one, and the there is no spoon, and what you just said of like, hey, you're creating all this shit in your own mind. Mm-hmm. It ends up becoming a very powerful kind of tool where you're like, okay, there has to be a breakthrough. I need to, I need to just jump. I need to make that jump. I need mm-hmm. to be able to break through. I need to be able to do this because ultimately, yeah, I can. Mm-hmm. I've just, I've built this world around myself or this world has kind of influenced what I've built around me mm-hmm. to convince me I'm not able to do this or I can't mm-hmm. achieve this. And yeah, so it, it's a, the matrix has so many layers to me of like, just not only is it such a badass movie, mm-hmm. but putting the lessons of the matrix or utilizing um, aspects of the matrix in your own life can be crazy reaffirming. It can be crazy, like uplifting and just kind of, okay. You know, listening to the Oracle talk, you're like, Oh shit. Is she talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so 
hard. Like this cuts to the basis of what it means to be a human being so perfectly. It's yeah. so, I think everybody watches this movie and wants to believe like they are, they walk up to the ledge with Neo and they're like, I want to believe I can jump to the other side. I can fall yeah. and not die. I can fly. I can break the rules if I believe hard enough, but there's always that doubt in the back of your mind where you're like, I've lived this entire life with all of these rules. I know what they are. What if I'm wrong? Uh, all yeah. of these things. And so it always holds you back because you believe what you feel like you should believe. It's so crazy, like, all the... And I, I, I honestly... So, I have never... Full confession. Mm -hmm. I have never looked into an interview with the cast, with the directors, writers, anyone, of what exactly does this movie mean? Like, what yeah. were their exact intentions? I have purposely made it a point not to look at it because I feel like the matrix is something that's so subjective to each of us. Like mm -hmm. you can take what you want from it. Uh, you and I tend to be on pretty much the same page, mm -hmm. obviously with what we're talking about <laughs> um, that. Yeah. To me, I'm like, this movie is so important to me because of, I need to be able to free my mind. You know, Morpheus kind of represents like every parent out there of yeah hey i believe wholeheartedly in you nothing will change that belief system mm -hmm. i might have moments of being kind of disappointed in you but ultimately my feelings towards you my belief in you never falters yeah no matter what like no matter what kind of pain i put myself through the parent will always be there to sacrifice themselves for for the child mm -hmm. um more like a lot of this was just flooding on me when I was rewatching. I was like, oh my god, Morpheus is like my mom and dad. Oh my god! <laughs> like, I'm Morpheus now with my own child, where you're trying to instill huge uh, life lessons, life, like, mm. meaningful teachings into your own children. Yeah. While at the same time, like, kind of being forced to remember, like, your child has to ultimately learn mm -hmm. on their own. Yeah, and you, you can give them everything that you can think of to let them become what they could be, but yeah. it's always up to them to choose to accept that or not. Yeah, and this is, long story short, I mean, this is why Neo and The Matrix, especially that first movie, are the best hero's journey interpretation. It's it's such a powerful film to me that, yeah, it's a crazy, awesome sci-fi action movie. Yeah, but to me, it's so much more in depth than that. It's so much more in depth than just what it's kind of spawned with, like the uh, we live in a simulation computer right. world. Uh, I don't follow that. I follow the idea of like essentially we are all Neo. We just have to actually be able to free our minds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like and Z, you know, and Zion represents that ultimate freedom. Mm -hmm. but it's not a freedom that you're just given. You have to actually fight to maintain it. it right. Oh my God. The, <laughs> the, like the philosophies and metaphors of this fucking franchise are incredible. Well, at least especially the first movie. I feel like the sequels really decide mm -hmm. to uh, segue away from the deep, powerful philosophies yeah. and life lessons. And they go straight for like, well, let's just tell a, a cool sci-fi flick. Yeah, yeah, they they make choices about where it should go, and the 
part of the greatness about the first movie is they leave it open and they just introduce fascinating, powerful ideas and then let the audience take and do with it whatever you want. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I love, I, I genuinely love the franchise. Um, but it's a franchise that, as much as I love the whole story, you know, I, I enjoyed two and three. But I, I can't help but feel like it's so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I didn't need a second and third part. I, I didn't need a fourth part. Mm-hmm. Um, because that first one, and you just said it really well of like, even though it's open-ended, it, it feels poignant. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like, yes, it's open-ended because at the, now I have to go. Yeah. I've been given the tools. Now I have to go and apply those tools to my, my life, my world. Yeah. Um, I, I still like the sequels a lot, but they're like the unnecessary sequels. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. They're, they're certainly not necessary. <clears throat> I think you get the gist of the whole story in the first one. Like you said, they tell you yeah. how it's going to end. So you could, make a yeah. su- you could never see the other ones and assume how it would go or even make up how you would want it to go. And it does such a great job, not just talking about all of these interesting ideas and philosophies, but also the, the struggle between destiny and choice is a big deal in the matrix. And especially on Morpheus's part, you talked about it. He believes a thousand percent, a billion percent, as much as possible. There's no doubt in Morpheus that Neo's the one, this is what's going to happen. Nobody's going to change my mind to the point of being crazy, being fanatical. Nobody's <laughs> like, okay, it's not that certain. Let's be real. Like something, <laughs> right. But he believes a hundred percent and it's kind of disarming in a way where you're like, oh, this is destiny. It has to happen. And it, I think it helps the characters believe more, yeah. but there's always that, conflict between destiny and choice where is it going to happen because it was supposed to happen or is it going to happen because we made it happen along the way there were so many times we almost didn't yeah and that and that part alone is fascinating yeah it i just seeing the like the Lawrence Fishburne. Now I had never really known who he was until I saw him as Morpheus since then I have obviously become a pretty big Lawrence Fishburne fan, or at least a decent fan of his. Yeah. Um, so Lawrence Fishburne, to me, throws down such an incredible performance with his whole, like, nothing's going to change my mind, my belief system in Neo being the one to save us, to end the war, Yeah. free, you know, keep Zion safe, free humanity. When Neo gets shot, and you see Morpheus, my favorite shot, well, one of my favorite parts of this whole sequence is the Sentinels are tearing into the Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, it is just chaos. You've got all the sparks, the everyone's screaming. They're mm-hmm. like, the end is there. And Morpheus is still. He's just staring at Neo in the chair, just like, I don't want to say disbelief. But just, he is suddenly having a gut check moment of what do I do now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, what will change? Will something change? You know, he's, you can see it all in his eyes and just all in how his composure is in that scene. I love seeing that. Now, 
all the philosophy and all that done. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about how fucking cool some of these action scenes are before we move into the second one. <laughs> Did, the, this movie, as I was rewatching it, has one of the best climaxes of all time. Like the whole last act is basically nonstop action, dude, and story reveal and all these other things. But it's so <laughs> it's me. so satisfying um, throughout the whole ending, basically from the point where. Neo says, we need guns. And they go into the Matrix and get that (laughs) whoosh of rifles and trench coats and all this stuff. And then the lobby shootout is probably the most iconic, amazing. Dude, that lobby shootout is insane. Just absolutely insane. And the style is so different i like rewatching it i was like this could not come out today like it holds up (laughs) so well but it holds up being from 1999 yeah you couldn't put out a movie and have it be taken seriously i don't think doing that today it's so different and i don't know it's but it's so cool it's It's so so cool. cool and you feel i mean so i would actually argue you on the turning point of the movie Hmm. i would say from the moment they leave the oracle when neo talks with her for the first time from that moment because that's when the phone call has been traced cypher has given them up Mm -hmm. uh you see the glitch in the matrix with the cat Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i would say that is actually the turning point of the film where it is nonstop after that. Mm. Yeah, there's still like some dialogue-driven like moments, but that's all they are, are just quick moments. It is yeah. very like, oh no, we are moving. Because mm-hmm. suddenly it is desperation mode where Neo, he still doesn't think he's the one or yeah. believe himself to be the one, but he like he hits that point of like, damn it, Morpheus just made mm-hmm. a huge life decision. Mm-hmm. I can't live like I have to save him. I yeah. have to give him a different option. Like he, I yeah. gotta do something. He has that like hero <laughs> choice where he's still pretty confident he's not the one, but he's not gonna do nothing. He needs to do anything he can. Yeah, to try his hardest to at least save these people he knows, the, the and, last people on Earth, basically. Seriously, and then you get like, all right. Never done a hack like this, but what do you need? And yeah, you get the famous guns. Lots of guns. And you're just like, as a fan, I remember sitting in that theater when he said that and you saw the like, the code write out and then all the rows come flying past him and just being like, what? (laughs) 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 Yeah. And then, yeah, walking into the lobby, you got that song that starts to play, which just amps you up. Mm. And you're like, I remember when I watched it with my daughter and told her, okay, now remember all the the security guards, they are not actually people. They are programs. Okay. Yeah. They are not. <laughs> she was like, okay. When they start shooting that lobby up, I was like, man, when I was a kid watching that movie, mm-hmm. I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. They're doing freaking cartwheels off the side of the building or off mm-hmm. the walls. They are like, doing flips and the the little like how many guns can you have strapped to you and you're still carrying a bomb what the hell (laughs) (laughs) yeah if we talk about influential action movies before that it was very common to have 
one guy with two guns shoot up that entire place. But the Matrix was like, no, you have a limited amount of guns and bullets and ammunition and magazines you can only you need to carry in all of that shit with you and yeah so it showed every little piece and it was so satisfying i i to this day i love and appreciate how instead of them like worrying and focusing so much on oh now i gotta reload it is like you fire it until it's empty drop yeah. it and move on to the point where they even pick up like the assault rifles that the security yeah. guards are holding. They, you know, it's, they rely on their their more the martial art skills that they've got. Yeah. Um. I still, dude. I love that final kick that Neo does, where he like walks up the guy's chest, boots him in the side of the head, and mm -hmm. lands. The way that is shot, the way they use the slow mo on that with the gun, like falling to the ground mm -hmm. oh my god it's so cool <laughs> you're just like oh <laughs> fun little thing so you know when they go they pick up the bomb they go into the elevator mm -hmm. and they have that shot of the lobby where everything's shot up and that the slab falls off yeah the slab was not actually meant to fall off that just <laughs> that was something that happened and it fits so well in the scene that the Wachowskis were like, yeah, we're going to keep that. Yeah. And I'm so happy they did, because I think it's the perfect, like, little period yeah. on that sequence. Like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It grounds you in, like, that environment so perfectly. Oh, my God. It's so cool. It's so cool. And then, yeah, you got them going up in the elevator. They climb up. They, they put the the latch on the cables. A lot of people miss the part where he says there is no spoon. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize he repeats the line. And I yeah. love that. He repeats it right there. I love that moment. And the fact that they brought back the spoon talk. Yeah. Considering it's time wise, like, we're going to do something crazy and we need to start <laughs> believing that it's possible. <laughs> right. Dude, that explosion. Oh my God. God. So I was telling my daughter how they filmed it because she was like, is that a real fire? It was like, the fire was real, the door was not. Mm -hmm. It was like, the way they filmed it was it was like a miniature set and I got to talk to her and tell her about like how productions will build miniature sets mm -hmm. to achieve certain things and if, the, if they do it well enough, you as the viewer will Can't never tell. know yeah. that it was a miniature. Well, this was a miniature and they just, they blew something you know, they blew it up and they just pulled the camera back so that the fire followed well the you know it's just like holy cow it's like i know it's so cool you can do this there's tons of fleet i love that my child has really started getting into like i just want to know the production tell mm -hmm. me all the fun little ways that they film this every movie we watch now she's like okay dad you have to tell me all the fun facts about it and i'm like okay i'll try yeah. um, <laughs> And it makes such a better story than like, oh, they just, you know, di that's digital fire. That's not yeah. fire. And that just kind of takes the magic away to be like, no, that's real fucking fire. <laughs> that they shut off a real fucking explosion. And then they pull the camera back super fast. And it's so hard to do. And they did it. Yeah. And you can only do it a couple times at most because yeah. you're going to run out of explosions or explosives. So yeah. I, I love the movie magic and all that. And the matrix is full of this. Seriously, folks go. I, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or whatever. Look up the matrix revisited. The whole making of is just so mind blowing. It's yeah. just as badass as the movie itself. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> then we get the, the infamous scene, which to this day, 
Mm-hmm. How could it not be one of the coolest things you've ever seen in a movie <laughs> where Neo dodges bullets for the first time? Yeah. It is. <laughs> it is. And it's such a great callback to the beginning where Neo's like, I can dodge bullets. And Morpheus is like, no, I'm saying when you realize everything I'm telling you, you won't have to dodge bullets. Yeah. And then we get to him actually like stopping them in midair. But dodging <laughs> them is pretty cool on its own. Dude, dodging them was, so, it, to this day, it's still just like, I get giddy when it happens. Yeah. And when I watch it with my daughter, I look over at her and her eyes are just like wide and huge. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> she's like, how did they do that? Dad? And I'm like, he was on cables and they just lowered him. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> but I told her how they set up like all the cameras for it, how that it was not yeah. like just a linear circle. It's like all like, yeah. Yeah. She yeah, was the, the swoop around it is all a bunch of different cameras shooting at different and, and I, I love that. He still gets hit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, how'd you do that? I've never seen someone do that or move that fast. That wasn't an agent. And he's like, well, clearly it's not fast enough. I love that. I feel yeah. like that doesn't get enough credit for being like <laughs> such a well-placed comedic line. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's still that little bit of pessimism. He's just not ready to believe it. Yeah. But dude, <sighs> Morpheus's rescue. Yeah. The helicopter scene. The minigun firing through the, the minigun windows. Oh my like goosebumps. Goosebumps yeah. every time when he flies down and Neo's standing there with the minigun aimed yeah. and Smith has that one line of just no. <laughs> You're like, yeah! <laughs> oh my god. Morpheus breaking the handcuffs. You get all the slow-mo. The agent's getting shot up. You get the mm. bullet time with this. Yeah. Oh and God. and there's like water everywhere because the, this fire uh, sprinklers have gone off. Yeah, and so thanks to the explosion that they set off. slowly through the, through the water splashes. And then the, the best part is when he Morpheus leaps, believing. He doesn't hesitate. But Neo goes... He's not going to make it. And he has yep. to leap out to grab him. It's just like the best. Them flying over Edge City and Neo's holding on to him. Dude, okay. There is something about this shot. Mm-hmm. That down looking shot of Neo holding on to Morpheus as they're flying over the building. And when Morpheus gives him the go ahead to like drop him. Yeah. I think every viewer of this scene has a borderline anxiety attack because you're like, oh my god, that has to be so perfectly timed of a drop yeah. to drop Morpheus on top of a building as he rolls. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, don't go over the edge, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, momentum. <laughs> but the helicopter, okay. Trinity going down with the helicopter. You got Neo wrapping the cable and you're like yeah. you're not going to hold back a helicopter what well, the hell you, you, you start to wonder I wonder I'm like is he going to stop a helicopter like is he going to hold it like Captain America what's going to happen and then yeah he, she, he pulls her out of it and I'm like oh yeah, that's fine it's not a big deal but controls the, the impact yeah. this is one of the wildest moments in the matrix of the helicopter crashing into the building mm-hmm. and instead of exploding immediately it does that ripple effect and then blows out. Yeah. Dude. 
Yeah. Is that, there a cooler screenshot? That scene. <laughs> I remember when Blu-ray first came out, and like the Matrix on Blu-ray was the thing that they showed in Best Buys around the oh, world yeah. for years. Just oh, yeah. this, just this scene, just the the ripple of the helicopter blowing up and rippling the glass. That's all you need in Blu-ray. They're like, this is why you need movies in Blu-ray. <laughs> Perfect selling point. Yeah. Oh, you you want high def? Just watch the Matrix on Blu-ray. Just go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is okay. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but they, like, they have that calming moment. Morpheus challenges Trinity of like, are you beginning to believe now, Trinity? Or like, do you believe me now? And she's already kind of been invested into it. I think she's been having her own kind of like mm-hmm. doubting. Not just that Neo is the one, but just like. I think Trinity is a, a character that quietly and very subtly mm-hmm. is like really challenged the whole yes. time. I totally agree. I had this a similar thought, and I, I'm glad that you led to this, where Trinity is such a fascinating character where she's the opening of the movie. She does all these awesome superhuman things. And she, but her most interesting fact is that she's been told by the Oracle that she's going to fall in love with the one and she has to go through her own kind of journey. Yep. And so she has a very personal kind of interest and hesitancy to believing Neo is the one because if he is, she's going to have to fall in love with him. She can't just fall in love with everybody. Everybody does. She's told is the one, but she it's, she kind of is very quietly in in the background, watching, observing, uh, trying to decide if she believes or not. And Morpheus challenges her on that, like you said. And so I think to people who aren't paying attention to her, it's kind of quick and sudden how quickly she does fall in love with Neo, or at least at the end where they kiss and... And she's like, she tells him she loves him. And I'm like, whoa, 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 already? How do you love him already? <laughs> but I think she's been watching and she's been thinking and she's been calculating. She knows that she does love him. She knows that he's the one before he even does. And I think that's a why the love story part of The Matrix, which is a big part of The Matrix. It's a huge part of The Matrix. <laughs> I think that's partly why it works so well is because they are great together. They yeah. complement each other. She helps him believe he's the one. Uh, it doesn't, him being the one doesn't take anything away from her. They're just such a great complementary partnership. Yeah. I've never felt like the, the love story aspect uh, felt really out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw it, you know, when it first came out as a kid, you just expect every action movie to have a love interest in it. Yeah. And so that first time you watch me, you're like, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> That's formula. As I grow older, yeah, it makes more sense throughout the movie, especially for Trinity. Mm-hmm. And because they, they tell, there's so much dialogue in that first Matrix that people either didn't hear or just didn't pay attention to. Mm-hmm. But the movie starts off with, like, Neo is trying to find Morpheus. Like you said, he's had this hunch he he's heard of the matrix he knows things are happening that he doesn't understand yet uh but trinity has been watching him and following him she knows trinity calls morpheus she knows about him she knows he's the one 
Yeah, like, she's been watching in the shadows, and then subtly in the background, she's focusing. She's really, like, kind of at this... Have I... Like, am I just liking this guy because... Mm-hmm. Morpheus believes he's the one. He's the one. Do I believe he's the one? Mm-hmm. But she's been following him for so long that she's going to gravitate towards him. She's going to feel connected. And I like how quiet and subtle. And mm-hmm. uh, if you're not really focusing on her, you're not going. You're going to think that her professing her love for him is out of the blue. When really, it's like no. She's finally hit a point of like I. I started following you because I was told, Hey, you might be the one, but mm-hmm. I truly believe you're the one. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> I genuinely have developed very strong feelings. So obviously she's in love with him. Yeah. Um, and she has her own conflict of choice versus destiny where yeah. does she, is she in love with him because she's supposed to love him or is she in love with him because she chooses to love him? It's also kind of a chicken and egg problem where <laughs> it d- is. does he become the one because I'm in love with him or am I in love with him because he's the one? And Which it's so I weird. am so glad you brought that up. <laughs> because she's so, like, I, I might just choose to love him. He might not be the one, but maybe yeah. her loving him makes him become the one. And I am a big proponent behind that mm-hmm. i think her believing not just in him being the one but her believing in love in general yeah. is what actually gives him that life and it, it's kind of a powerful thing because love i mean as a species mm-hmm. we do seek out love yeah we kind of need love mm-hmm. and when we have love we we feel empowered. We feel like we can conquer stuff. We can achieve stuff. We feel important. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's value, meaning, and so I think they the Wachowskis use that kind of basic human thing and decided. You know what? What if love could be used almost like a rule bender? Yeah, or the rule breaker because she mm-hmm. brings she resurrects them. Um, yeah, they have a Snow White moment where he's dead and she basically kisses him in real life, brings him back to life in real life and in the Matrix. Yeah. And I, so, you know, I do think that love is such a per, like a, a uniquely human construct that is so outside of the realms of the Matrix. I think that it's the kind of thing that um, a machine or an AI would be like, that is illogical, that's a pract- impractical Um <laughs> It's it's but it's uniquely human and emotional on a way that is is bending of machines or matrix. Yeah, and and it's the the driving tool or weapon really throughout the rest of the franchise is love. You got Smith that mocks it because he has no understanding of it. The architect mocks it because he has no understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the only program that is like on board with it. Is the Oracle. But, but dude, that like that that foot chase where Neo is trying to get to the phone so that he can get out of the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Um, His fight in the subway with with Smith is so freaking cool. Yeah. Oh my god. That... (laughs) We could probably spend two hours just talking about their fight in the subway, so we'll try to keep it down. Yeah. Yeah. 
because it is full of so many little like quick moments. My personal favorite is when Smith catches Neo's hit and he pokes him in the throat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the like, you hear that, Mr. Anderson, that's the sound of your doom, that's the sound of inevitability. Mm-hmm. And Neo finally has that like the name is Neo. I don't take that as him fully believing he's the one. I take that as him being like, my real life is not this. Yeah. This is not where I end. This is not my inevitable conclusion. Mm-hmm. Like, not now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just um, rejecting of his authority over him. That yeah. I'm not Thomas Anderson, this like slave to the machine system. I am more than this. I am who yeah. I want to be, at least. Dude, first time I watched The Matrix... When he finally makes it to the phone, mm-hmm. which it's in the same building that the whole movie, the whole franchise kicks off from. In mm-hmm. fact, it's the same room. It concludes in the same room that the whole thing starts in. Mm-hmm. Um, first time you saw it, when Neo kicked open the door and you saw Smith standing there, Yeah, were you like, I mean, for me, I had never really watched a movie where the hero took it in the end <laughs> up to this point. Yeah. <laughs> but when Neo gets shot and they do that great, like where you see the gun flash, you kind of hear it go off and Neo has that like, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> were you, I mean, we were both the same age, but were you <laughs> like, Oh no, <laughs> like oh, freaking yeah. out. Absolutely. I, I don't think that I had seen a movie where like the hero <laughs> dies especially one that had been built up this much. It's like, yeah, if it's like, if you were to like say, okay, this kid in Kansas, his name's Clark Kent. He grows up to be Superman. He's the coolest guy ever. Oh, but he dies at the very end. And then actually nothing really happens. And you're like, whoa, 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 what? Like I've never (laughs) seen a movie like that. And then, so yeah, I was very shocked that that happened. And that, and you hate agent Smith so much that you don't want him to win so badly. (laughs) And so you are in your chair, willing Neo to get up, just like Trinity and Morpheus on the Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, willing him (laughs) with everything they have. Come on, Neo, you gotta bounce back from this. And then he empties the clip into it, and you're like, no. (laughs) Of course, then we get the kiss. You got the sentinel, dude. The amount of like elevation of just insanity at the end is. Man, I can't believe that movie didn't put people into anxiety attacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and all of the Sentinel stuff is so crazy. And actually, that whole real-world stuff we didn't really talk about, but the real-world side where these machines have these people in goo, like fields of goo, like, stealing their energy as Well, we're like fields of corn being plucked. Yeah. Exactly. At a time. They're harvesting human beings for their energy. They, some humans have escaped and are on a pirate ship in the sewers. And you always like, I always like just assume because they're in a ship and they're in the sewers, they must be underwater. And so I like, I have to think differently where I'm like, this, yeah. th- they're not underwater. They can open up the ship and it's fine. But there are sentinels. They're these crazy machines who are going to rip and them apart. And they look like squids. And they're even yeah. cold. Squiddies. So, yeah. so it's it's such a different, cool style 
that I yeah. haven't seen before. I don't think I've seen since. I, so I just seen have to since. think about it in a different way. Yeah, I. So when Neo, yeah, the real world stuff. So I, I purposely haven't brought up the real world stuff. I'm kind of saving that for when we get to like uh, revolutions because that's mm. prominent real world stuff. Well, Mostly so is Reloaded, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the real world. I love the design of it, but I'm going to save a lot of mine about it for later. Mm -hmm. uh, so Neo comes back to life, and I love how Smith and the other two agents are like kind of scared. Yeah, because wouldn't you be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love that Smith goes charging right in for the first time, looking very desperate. Mm -hmm. which I love that we get to see a program being desperate to mm -hmm. like maintain control. Mm -hmm. But the best part is Neo hitting that potential of when you're ready, you won't have to dodge bullets. Mm -hmm. Dude, him whispering no. And the way that they like, I love the shot of the bullets coming towards him and the, like how they slow way down. Yeah. I think that's such an incredible shot. Mm -hmm. just him plucking the bullet out of the air and dropping it. And you see all the others fall with it. I love that sequence so much. <laughs> it just looks so good. Yeah. And you, as the audience member, well, I can't say you or Jeremy. <laughs> for me, as the viewer, I remember him stopping the bullets like that. I personally felt just like a surge of, oh my God. Yeah. If he can do that, like, I want to Neo. What can I do? What else can he do? This is yeah. insane. And I was like, 12? I think I was 12 <laughs> years old when I saw it, 12, 13 years old when I saw it. <laughs> like, yeah. But I mean, that's like, that's the testament of the Matrix is that kind of impact it can have and clearly has had on me. It's had on you. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Neo, for, like, becoming the one at the end of the first Matrix is so cool. Mm -hmm. Before we go to Reloaded, though, how great, how relevant, poignant, just everything important is his call. To the machines at yeah. the end. I oh, I should have written it down. Do you have his dialogue? I just I feel like I don't, but I bet I can grab it because I have a uh, Wikipedia open. Uh yeah. Uh actually right here, last lines. I know you're out there, I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid, you're afraid of us, you're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how it's going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying this. I know! I'm going to show them a world without you, a world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries, a world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. To you. Dude. <laughs> and then he flies away like fucking Superman. And he flies away like fucking Superman. But honestly. Yeah. You said it. You got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. And we can't even deliver it as well as Keanu Reeves delivers oh, yeah. that monologue. But I ran through it. Honestly. That dialogue is probably... 
like I've always loved it, but there was something so powerful of hearing it again these days of just being like, oh man, how great is this? And not to go down any like mm-hmm. non movie cycle or whatever, but dude, <laughs> I feel we as like a species need to revisit the matrix mm-hmm. and we need to like really take heed of that final monologue of just Mm -hmm. what are we able to do? Let's show each other Mm -hmm. this whole world without like what Neo says, without borders, without these guidelines, without these rules. And obviously I'm not saying like, Hey, let's go anarchy. I'm saying Mm -hmm. we got to get out of our own fucking way. We got to get out of our own head. Right. Right. And I just, Oh my God, I love that final monologue. And that honestly, I mean, him flying away and them ending the credits with Rage Against the Machines Wake Up is just so like, yep, all right, I need to do something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much of the story of the character is, and of the, the story in general, but also the character of Agent Smith, he's just predicated on the idea of authority. He's used to people being asleep, being totally fine with authority. He can take over as many programs as he wants. doesn't really matter. He's all powerful. But one person standing up and saying, no, I'm not going to take this. You can't control me. And, and it throws everything off. It makes him doubt himself. And so everything we talked about. And so the, the matrix, like so much great literature, so much great film and storytelling is about people rejecting this authority over them just because it's authority. Like you are, yeah. you are being told that this thing is in charge and you're just accepting it, but you don't have to, especially if it's damaging you or you could take care of yourself better. And so yeah. that's kind of the main story of Neo saying, these people need to know you can wake up, you can take care of yourself where they go from there. I'm not responsible I'm not going to control them like you control them, but that's just the first step. This is just the beginning. Yeah, I, and I love like I mean you can take you can take it any and every which way. <clears throat> uh, I, I take it very like personal and to myself of like I you know we we've kind of been conditioned to only accept and believe certain levels of our potential mm-hmm. and. To me, Neo's monologue of like, we're going to break this is mm-hmm. very poignant to like, okay, this, these walls or whatever, this, this whole conditioning that I've accepted and kind of reinforced mm-hmm. myself. Right. Like, through self doubt and through all this uh, outside influence on human potential, like, it's time to break that. Right. But he's, he sums it up great of like, I can't like force people to do this. I I don't know what will happen if people choose or when people choose to finally kind of rid themselves of these conditionings of, of these rules that they've kind of put in place. Mm -hmm. Um, But that it's all choice. Yeah. Like, yeah, Yeah. there, there might be destiny, there might be fate, but ultimately you still have the choice Mm-hmm. to follow through with that. You can still change the course of actions mm-hmm. pretty much no matter what. I yeah. love 
that first Matrix. So, it's such a powerful movie to me. Just like it's a choice for for them to free themselves, it's a choice for them to stay in that mindset of yeah. dormancy or slavery. We see people breaking the Matrix throughout history every day when people have generations of actual slavery or when people just have generations of poverty and they're the first one to go to college. Like they're the first one to buy their own house. They're the first one to have like kids, like not obviously not the first one to have kids, everybody right, has kids, right. but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there's, there's so many people who just choose to do something differently, breaking the conditioning, breaking the pattern of everything that came before. And yeah. that's their matrix in a way. It's so cool. Oh, my God. It's so powerful. It's so good. Dude, we're like two hours in, and we only talked about the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's the one I have the most to say about. Honestly, yeah, me too. The but, best. Uh, I mean, honestly, like, I asked my daughter if she wanted to watch a sequel. She said no, but that was because she, was, she doesn't want her brain to be put through the ringer anymore. And oh, I did tell her about worse from that. I, I know. I was like, "Oh, but you gotta hear the architect talk." No one knows what the hell he says. <laughs> um, but yeah, that first Matrix is just so powerful. It's so good and relevant and, mm -hmm. and important in my mind. Whether you're a yeah. film fan or just if you're looking for some philosophy, I think the Matrix is something that will still be getting dissected. You know, even twenty years from now. Yeah. I think people are constantly going to be referring back to it and constantly trying to uh, kind of remind themselves of so many like personal mm -hmm. revelations and all this stuff. But uh, yeah, that first one is just, it's mm -hmm. too good. It's too good. Yeah. There's so many lines of dialogue that I feel like you can get more and more out of it. The more you yeah. watch it, especially Morpheus tells Neo so much stuff about, <laughs> humanity and philosophy and ideas that it blows your mind and so you kind of need to just break it down and have the wisdom of age and time and other references that, that it make, means more later on in life I think and that will probably conclude the most <laughs> philosophical part of this whole episode because at this point is to me yeah. where the franchise became just kind of a, a money grab uh, and they kind of yeah. separated themselves from the philosophy of it and just focused solely on the, the crazy story and the action and sci-fi aspect. Yeah, it, it's confusing <laughs> because I feel like it I feel like I get the first one enough to fully understand it and respect it. The other ones I'm like, I, I don't know if I don't get it because it's arbitrarily complex or because I'm just not enlightened or I'm too retarded to know <laughs> what it means. And so I've watched, I've watched it. And I'm like, I, I feel like I, I, there are so many lines of dialogue. So like in reloaded in matrix reloaded, um, early on, I think, I think it's early on in the park, they're having a discussion with the Oracle and, uh, it's all very complicated and convoluted. But you learn that they need to go meet the Merovingian in order to find the keymaker. And apparently the Merovingian writes code that makes Cake give this woman an orgasm and stuff. And so it's... Which is the most... Okay. Reloaded. I'm a fan of Reloaded. I think it's got awesome like action set pieces. I, I like the story. Because Reloaded is where the machines are... Uh, 
instead of just searching for Zion or trying to get to Zion, they have they're on the attack now. They're officially on their way to destroy Zion. Yeah. Um, That's the weird thing about the first movie. There's so much in it as far as ideas and actions that you forget the actual story of the movie is the machines are trying to get these codes to get to, to access Zion. Yeah. These codes that are like locking them out of Zion. Because they, they don't want people to be free. They want yeah. To continue to solely operate off of harvesting and growing human beings. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like Reloaded is, hey, now we're in desperation mode because the Sentinels know exactly where Zion is and they are tunneling. Yeah. Like they are on the offensive. They are close. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of crazy shit happens in the second one. You got Smith comes back, but he's no longer, like he's still a program, but he's not. Uh, plugged in. He's yeah. unplugged. Now he acts more of like an actual computer virus. Yeah. I liked the the earpieces that the agents had where they know everything that's going on in the Matrix. They are jacked in. They can he- yeah. hear and sense everything going on. And then, yeah, in Reloaded, Smith loses the earplug. He is now a rogue program that's not connected or part of the main system anymore. Yeah. And he's, I mean, although he's still a program, he's still out to destroy Neo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very corrupting and he will corrupt mm-hmm. like the world that the machines have already created. And that's a problem for the machine world. Um, yeah. And he's taking, he can change any program in the matrix into a copy of himself. Yeah. is kind of the main thing in uh, reloaded. And so he has this like extra power, I guess, because Neo dove into him and obliterated him in the first one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Kind of like uh, accidentally. Well, I mean, every so the Merovingian really becomes kind of the the guy who's explaining every action has a reaction. What mm-hmm. comes with you know um, cause and effect. Uh, he goes, he babbles on a lot about it, but essentially it's him telling Neo, everything you've done up to now is going to have a consequence, whether mm-hmm. you understand why or understand the consequence, it's happening no matter what. And that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but Reloaded, I like how you worded it, where it, it takes like this already very complicated, huge story. Mm-hmm. And decides, you know what would be a good idea? Let's add on top of it. <laughs> like suddenly, there's all these added characters that just feel kind of an overload. Mm-hmm. Of like, there's never been a hint to a key master. There's never been a hint to like. I mean, you kind of. I guess you're expected to assume that there would be an architect, like right. who actually created the Matrix mm-hmm. or what created the Matrix. Um, the Oracle ends up being a program, which you're already supposed to assume she is a program. But yeah. then we've got Seraph, who may have been an agent at some point or mm. something. There's so the problem with the sequels is there are a lot, and when I say a lot, I mean <laughs> it is like you cannot list the amount of hints to what they were doing beforehand or who they actually are that never ever 
get mentioned again. They never get hinted at again. They just, they are said and you move on. Yeah. I think that's a problem. Yeah. Like. It's confusing. The architect has a line to Neo where he's like, if I'm technically the father of the Matrix, then she would be the mother of it. And the assumption is like, oh, is that the Oracle being the mother of the Matrix? But if she's the mother of the Matrix, then what the hell is she doing? Like, yeah, that's a bad relationship to have. But they, <laughs> yeah. like, and he said they made it together. The Matrix is their baby. And so she had as much to contribute in the ideas or reasons for the Matrix. Which would make her a part of the problem. That means yeah. she is still... That means she is not leaving up destiny. She's not leaving mm. up choice. Because if she's the mother of it, then she has willingly created mm. this world to enslave people. And she's only having the one mm. as a means of trolling the architect. Yeah. I think Just you're an to, annoyance. I think you're meant to think that she regrets contributing to creating it, but then you learn that there have been six matrices. This is the way it goes. This is what it's for. It's a process that always happens. And right. Which means that she is continuing to do it. So I yeah. think it takes away the integrity of the Oracle. If that's the path that you go down. Now, like I said, I've never looked up what the, Wachowskis yeah. have said is the full meaning or the actual meanings of all these. So, and I don't and want to. I to this day I don't. And it's said so quickly that you, uh, it could mean several different things. It depends on how much you believe him. All this stuff. Yeah. Um, but we do get a lot of cool things in Reloaded. I mean, it gets kind of intense. The final act gets very convoluted. You got mm. Smith ends up jacking himself into the real world but in the body of like another dude yeah which is like still one of the guy. weirdest sequences i've ever seen in a movie uh, <laughs> yeah yeah that's like the very end that leads right into the next movie but they like so they hit to vampires and werewolves actually existing but their programs in the matrix so they're in the merovingians like hangout spot you brought up the merovingian is writing sexy codes for it's yeah this lady this it's the weirdest scene honestly where he writes this program or code for this cake and it gives this woman an orgasm but the there's this like green matrix code as she spreads her legs like, open and the camera zooms in we watched it happen fagine. yeah yeah we watch it you happen you see the orgasm in like inside of her programming or code it's weird it's so weird and it's, it's so weird. it's kind of off putting honestly <laughs> yeah but uh, and it's while he's like telling you all this stuff and i'm like I don't know what the purpose You have no clue what he said because is. you're so distracted with yeah. the cake. Yeah. And then you're like, well, his wife is Monica Bellucci and she kind of moves the story forward. So maybe that was the only point of him because she maybe. Like, helps Which them. I, to this day, I expected way more from the character of Persephone. Mm -hmm. um, she does nothing really except like she makes out moves with the Neo. Plot forward. Yeah. And then she kind of, yeah, she's a plot piece. And she that's gets it. him out of a tight spot. So. Yeah. Which is kind of a bummer because I think her character could have been better used or have more potential. I mean, when they cast her, 
when like the talk of oh we're getting Persephone, who you know, mm-hmm. I in my mind I thought oh she's going to be huge. I remember having conversations with my brother after we saw the second one. We saw it separately. He was back in Minnesota, um, but I remember we we saw Reloaded, and both of us were just going off with all these fan theories of where we thought these characters were going to go. Because when they did the release of Reloaded and Revolutions, it was like maybe a month, maybe three months tops in between the two. They were yeah, very they, close. They came out the same year, yeah, which is insane. And Revolutions had a lot of hype behind it because of where reloaded like left off where all the hints that it it set up all the plot points that it set up mm-hmm. and it never delivered anything on any of them which mm-hmm. sometimes having unanswered questions is okay sure definitely like i would have been fine with the first matrix leaving everything it leaves open, open. yeah it would have been perfect on its own. That's why I say the sequels, although I enjoy the sequels, are unnecessary. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah Reloaded just, I think it gets, I think the Wachowskis got too caught up in maybe trying to create or show too much of the Matrix mm. in one shot, and then didn't deliver. I think they got a little ahead of themselves. I think they tripped themselves up with a lot of it and didn't, like follow through with a lot of it. Whereas, you know, okay, so a good example of, like, uh, how this is done well would be the John Wick series. You and I have talked about this pretty much at length, uh, where they do a great job of widening the world, showing you more of this whole assassin's world society, but they do it in such a great way. Even as you're meeting new, like, new characters, new hierarchies, it's Mm. understandable. You get it. It keeps you intrigued. It keeps you in the story, and it yeah. never takes away anything from the story. Whereas it reloaded go from zero to a hundred, yeah. Once. Whereas reloaded and revolutions get so caught up in just trying to show you as much and as much as much as possible. Yeah. On top of all these crazy action sequences, <laughs> that I think at some point they went, "Oh crap, we forgot yeah. to tell the story." So how do we force the story yeah. to fit all of the shit? Right, right. Yeah, they're trying to tell a much more complicated story, introducing the Keymaker and the Merovingian and the Architect and having these very long, very complicated conversations. And then also have the biggest fight you can imagine in the park between all these Agent Smiths and Neo, have the giant highway fight with these dreadlock guys on these trucks. And, and it's just the craziest... It's a crazy movie. It's I think it's kind of too much on some level. A lot of yeah. the reason the Matrix works so well is because it was it was pretty grounded. It was there were feelings that people understood that resonated with them. They even though they didn't understand everything that they were talking about, they understood the gist and they understood the feeling of that. They had references in real life. They had references in history and all that stuff. So yeah. then to suddenly take that and be like to talk about and, and the, the the dialogue between the architect especially kind of jumping to the end the architect's monologue is is it's more complicated than it needs to be like i think he <laughs> he could give the same ideas in a much simpler way he's kind of an asshole it, just in the way he talks he uses weird words that are not normal 
and so it throws you off on following that. I have always joked from the first time I saw it, even to now, like you almost have to watch that architect scene with a dictionary and the pause button ready. Like he said, (laughs) what? Okay, look that word up. What does that mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, I would be interested in rewriting it with a thesaurus. It'd be like, okay, what's the simpler (laughs) version of that word I could use instead? I've always felt like they they wanted the architect to come across as like obviously the ultimate machine. He, I mean, he's the architect. He's the yeah. one who has created the world. He's created the code. Yeah, uh, he's created the control. So I feel like they wanted to make sure he was set completely apart from humans. So he's going to talk like a machine would. So using all these crazy words. Yeah, and I get that. But at the same time, since they're showing the architect show annoyance, Mm -hmm. you would almost think that he would be kind of tired of, all right, this is the sixth one, and we're going according to plan, so I guess I got to start getting number seven ready. Like, they've already established the architect can get frustrated. The architect is going to feel human emotions he even gets really sarcastic a couple times with neo yeah which i i'm like is this a flaw or is this like like on purpose Mm. because if he's a machine he probably shouldn't really be feeling too much but i've always kind of wished that we would have seen the architect again i think a final showdown between Neo, or not even a showdown Mm. but like a, a confrontation between yeah. Neo and the architect would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, we never get that. But the yeah. architect flat out sense. tells you. <laughs> it made sense for him to be like at the source or something. Yeah. But even when Neo's like, I hope we never meet again, he's like, you won't. And you know what? He didn't lie. We never see the, <laughs> like, the architect's gone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is an interesting idea that the everything in the real world even is part of the system yeah where they're whenever they reset it then of the six times this has happened they've had to reset it they always choose a handful of people to kind of start zion start this idea uh, that they kind of uh, i think it goes back to the first movie where human beings need that struggle need that motivation need to feel like they're striving for something that they're the underdogs fighting against the man or whatever that is even architected. That is even part of the design of the matrix. Yeah. The machines know the architect knows because he says like, Hey, the first one, like you said earlier, is the perfect utopia. We thought it was everything human beings wanted. And it Mm -hmm. turns out they rejected it because we're fucked in the head. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We can't, we literally cannot accept just, purity <laughs> like actual like <laughs> you know we just can't do it we have to have conflict um so i think it's an interesting thing that the architect tells him like yeah we are the ones that actually set up zion we're the ones that actually kind of start the fight against ourselves but it's only to placate human nature like <laughs> i think that's an interesting point um I don't reloaded gets so fucking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And it does it pretty rapidly. I mean, it starts off with like the meeting of the, the captains and their vessels in the matrix 
trying to discuss, you know, the Osiris getting blown up, which is mm-hmm. the Animatrix. Um, and then wanting to, like, hey, we're going to have to go back to Zion because we're getting called back. Morpheus is hanging back because they need to see the Oracle again. <laughs> uh, and Morpheus is just kind of like, you find out in Reloaded, I, I, I think Reloaded really uh, diminishes a lot of key roles. I think mm. it kind of take away the importance and kind of the relevance of a lot of key people, Morpheus being one of them, with he essentially comes across and reloaded as like delusional religious yeah. man uh, who's rebellious. Yeah. <laughs> and is caught up in a love triangle. That's the love triangle <laughs> that I feel is so unnecessary to the story is mm. him, Niobe, and uh the captain. I or the general. I don't like yeah. that love triangle. I just don't. I think it's so unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but I do like seeing Zion, and I really like uh, how organic it is, where, like, the mm. material feels homemade, everything feels homegrown, home, you know, everything is just uh, man-made. Yeah. Like, we have to rely on ourselves, which is not entirely true, because even the head of the council tells Neo, like, we still rely on machines to keep us going. Look at the system we've built. Uh, I do like that irony. (laughs) And I I do think Reloaded, as convoluted as it gets, and a lot of its flaws, I forgive them and Reloaded primarily, because there's still a lot of really good things to take from it. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. They still discuss, like, hey, we can fight this battle forever, but ultimately humans are always going to be dependent on something. Mm. We're never going to be fully independent and be able to actually thrive by ourselves. We have to depend on other stuff to help us out. We just have to find a healthy level of dependency. And I think that's a really cool thing, uh, especially for Neo to kind of learn. Um, Because when we see them again... He's been the one for what do they say in it? Uh, man, it's like a year or something like that. Yeah, it's been a little bit. It's not right after. But you know, all of Zion is treating him as the savior. They're offering, mm-hmm. they're giving him offerings, which he is clearly uncomfortable about. I would be, and he's. <laughs> I think largely because he was involved in rescuing them and pulling them out of yeah. the matrix. Um, you, you meet uh, the kid that he freed who just kind of like mm. accidentally got freed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Neo hints at. I've always wished they did like something more with him. Um, I think that would have been cool to see him kind of get a ship of his own or become a part of an actual crew instead of just being there. Yeah to celebrate Zion being saved. Um, Especially after you find out in Matrix 4 kind of the fate of Zion and all that. But we're going to get to that because I have Mm -hmm. shit to say about that. Um, (laughs) Well, he has... he. I guess his main hero moment is uh, when Zion is getting attacked by all of the squids. Uh, He is like running out ammunition and stuff and he helps... helps, uh, But I've always wished that I got to see that character... Yeah, 
get to achieve something because he tells Neo like, "Hey, I want to be a crew member. I want to be on the Nebuchadnezzar." Obviously, that yeah. can't happen. But I've always wished I could have seen him take over a crew and going into the fourth one. I had hopes of like, mm. will we get to see him again? Because I feel like they focus on him so much and then they don't follow through with him like as yeah i don't know maybe i'm overthinking it but yeah back to reloaded <laughs> i do like zion i love the real world stuff in zion where you see more of the sewer systems that the mm -hmm. that humans have to navigate and be really cautious about because suddenly sentinels in the machine world are hyper aware and then we get to learn like every sequel does uh oh <laughs> The machines have new weapons. They have new tools. They have upgrades. Yeah. <laughs> Which, okay. The upgraded agents. I don't know what it is. The agents in the first Matrix, all of them, mm -hmm. you just look at them and they're intimidating. They're not super built. They're not super yeah. bulky. They just have a look to them that you're like, you're bad. Like, you understand that very first scene with them, which is just them getting out of a car, they're the bad guys. Every agent from then on, from Reloaded, Revolutions, and Resurrections, every agent, I'm like, yeah. none of you look intimidating. You all look Big. like you're trying too hard. Big look, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, my opinion. I, I wonder if part of that could be narrative driven because when you, before you were introduced to them, or I think maybe right after you're introduced to them in the first movie, uh, Trinity and that group, they talk about how nobody's, nobody's ever survived an encounter with an agent. Yeah. Like the, you can't kill them. You can't even escape them. They are an unstoppable force. And so then you see Neo do it and you're like, Oh, well, we can do that now. That's fine. <laughs> right. And then everybody suddenly is able to do it, and they just kind of lose that scariness. Yeah. And that could be. That could be. the. I mean, Neo calls them upgrades. Yeah. Kind of like sarcastically, which I do like that. I do yeah. like that. Um, yeah, the Reloaded just, they, they do a lot of things in it that I feel come so close to fulfilling so many things and then mm. retreating at the very last second. Yeah. Uh, Neo's first fight with the upgraded agents starts off so cool and it just mm. abruptly comes to an end. Like it just, okay, we're done. And I've always felt like that fight was cut short mm. or so there's always, it's always felt a little off to me. Um, the Burly Brawl is so cool. I love the Burly Brawl, except for the fact that it is, like, the first time <laughs> that we are really put off by the CGI, and you're mm. kind of taken out of what you're getting to watch because yeah. it looks not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The fighting doesn't look good. Neo flying doesn't really look good. Uh, there's a lot of fake fire in this movie. It's, it's, and a lot of the reason that I fail to love it uh, is the digital effects take me out of it for sure. I feel like there's a big plot hole in the conversation with the architect where they describe 
we they the the whole process of the six different resets that they've had and they need neo to kind of fall in line and do his parts and all this stuff and if he doesn't then everyone on the planet inside and outside the matrix are going to die and and then neo's like well does into the machines rely on human beings for power and the, the architect's just like we'll figure it out no, you won't. Like, how are you <laughs> oh yeah, his line that? of like, we are prepared for other methods of survival. You're like, no, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like bullshit to me and uh, a gap, but whatever. And then uh, the the main um, thing is that it kind of retreads a lot of the original movie plot points, where yeah. somebody is a prisoner they need to rescue. Uh, Trinity dies instead of Neo and he kisses her to bring her back to life. Uh, so, and it's just, just kind of, I, I saw this movie already kind of. Right. Well, and then not, it, it does a lot of the same sequel tropes mm-hmm. and it does it in the same way. Instead of trying to do like a new spin to it, it does it the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we're introduced to same characters, but suddenly they have like either new abilities or new, uh, weapons, they're upgrade. Everyone is upgraded suddenly and mm-hmm. never really for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they do a weird thing with Neo in the same scene. It's when he resurrects Trinity. So she's shot and dying. Mm-hmm. And he uses his matrixy skills to like reach in, literally yeah. pull the weapon out or the bullet out bullet. and throw it off to the side. And you're like, okay, he was able to dive into Agent Smith. Okay, okay. But then he restarts her heart by reaching in and like, like shocking her heart again. Yeah. And that's just weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah well the the whole concept of the matrix is you if you die in the matrix you die in real life because your brain doesn't know the difference yeah your your brain is tricked into thinking that you are actually hurt that badly so i i guess it's conceivable that he could trick her mind back into thinking that she's fine through his matrixy powers but it is a little bit it's, it's, we're bordering it's, on the edge of believability here. It, yeah, it's one of those moments, even for like, yes, he is in the, the Matrix, this simulation world where he is not bound by rules here. He can do whatever, mm-hmm. which is what you are supposed to use as your believability. Mm-hmm. But even with that, him restarting her heart the way he does is still very like... Mm, I- <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I'm not a big fan of them utilizing like the code look. I don't. You know, they do it with the the lady and the cake. They do it with uh, Neo saving mm-hmm. Trinity, and they do it one or two other times. I just can't remember when. Yeah. Um. But I don't necessarily like how it looks and i don't think it was necessary to do that but i mm-hmm. i don't know um man for yeah, me saying like no i really like the second one i'm sure I'm, i have a laundry list of stuff i don't care about uh yeah i mean it's it's it's, it's enjoyable on a basic level but it's, it falls so short of 
the first one is not on a basic level. The first one is on a metaphysical level yeah. where you can't even uh, quantify it. Yeah, the second one, all, uh, positives in the second one. Like, I think when you strip away all of the unnecessary complexities of it and you stick down to the basic of Neo learning a truth or mm-hmm. a truth, if you will, mm-hmm. And following through with what his character has already shown him to do, which is rebel and reject Mm -hmm. that rule, that Mm -hmm. boundary. And, you know, he uses love as his driving force, which is perfectly in line with his character. But him really, I think, reloaded as at its core, Neo really deciding to believe in himself as being the one or like actually considering, am I really this prophecy? Am I really the Mm -hmm. guy that's supposed to do this? Yeah. Um, And I think that's a cool storyline. I think the, the action choreography, like the fight scenes are awesome. I really like the fight scenes. That highway chasing is still Mm -hmm. one of the coolest fucking sequences ever. Minus the, like the really bad CGI at the very end of it. Uh, but it's it's fast paced. I love the fight in the car. I love the fights on top of the semi truck. Um, I think Neo's fight in the big uh, mansion foyer, whatever, with all the crazy programs. Mm-hmm. I think that's a cool fight. I I think I think the movie though gets a little too caught up in itself with Neo's ability to fly. He seems to fly yeah. all the time and at just random moments. And I'm just always I'm like, can we just like, don't worry about the flying. We already know he can fly. Save it for when it's like crazy relevant to the story. Right. Um, him flying to go see the Oracle. I don't think that was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, a, don't forget he, he flew at the end of the last one. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It feels like, oh yeah, don't forget, Neo can fly. <laughs> like, yeah. I, trust me, I did not forget that Neo can fly. <laughs> right. Um, but no, Reloaded, like, I do enjoy it. I like his conversation with the Oracle where he calls her out on being a program and he flat out tells her, I don't know that I can trust you. And she's like, you know what, that's a good thing. Maybe you yeah. shouldn't. Um, I do like that. I do like... For the most part, I like his scene with the architect, minus all the crazy huge words. I like finding out that there's been, you know, five previous versions. It's the sixth one. Yeah. Um, and I do really like when Neo goes through the door. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, the speed that he flies at, I love the shot of it. It looks really cool with him bringing, like, the fire and all that with him. It looks cool. Uh, yeah, bringing up the the different times this has happened, that kind of changes the stakes for Neo, where I think to this point, he has thought I could be the one to save humanity, but they completely flipped the script where that doesn't mean anything. Being the one to save humanity (laughs) has happened a million times or six times. And so why, why bother is kind of the question where even if you wanted to, and even if you did, does it even matter? And so, you kind of lose motivation in a different way, not because you don't believe anymore, but because it's, 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 he's, it's inevitable. Like, like agent Smith said, and it's yeah. that destiny thing. And, and I like that Neo fights 
is still like rebelling against that. And I think that's what really ends up tapping him into his full power arsenal. Um, I think so when reloaded got released, everyone knew cause they announced like, Hey, we're going to get reloaded. And then a couple months later, we're getting the conclusion with revolutions. Yeah. And so everyone went into reloaded knowing and expecting the cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. We all figured like they're going to end it at a crazy time. It's the oddest cliffhanger <laughs> moment. Yeah. Nobody thought it would be this random guy we've never seen before having being in a coma right next to Neo. Who's also and, in a coma. And they are, but this guy is secretly agent Smith is trying <laughs> to kill him. Um, nobody saw that coming. No. Instead. And I still think the better choice would have been, uh, so the whole like leading up to the architect mm-hmm. trying to keep the key master alive and safe so that he can open up this back hallway yeah, entryway to get to the architect. You know, they, they do that whole meeting sequence in the building where the whole plan is coming together. It's falling apart. And then like mm-hmm. Trinity has to go in last second. You got Morpheus's monologue of like the importance of believing and hey whether we believe in the prophecy whether neo is the one tonight Mm. will be a defining moment for us as a species so what happens tonight is important regardless Mm. of what we believe or not yeah we're still all of us together Yeah. yeah And uh, just the importance of, like, life and taking risks. And I think Morpheus's monologue is really the only moment in Reloaded where you get that sense kind of like you did in the first one where you're like, oh, okay, we're back to something grounded, something human. Like, yeah. this is the moment. Morpheus is flat out telling us there are things to believe in and they are worth fighting for. And he's challenging us because he's sitting in the chair. And yeah, the scene is set up where he's talking to the other uh, captains, but the camera is like focusing on him. So it looks like he's Mm -hmm. talking to you. I still say that would have been the best place to put that cliffhanger is right after he says, wouldn't that be worth fighting for? (laughs) Blink! To be concluded. It would have pissed so many audiences off, but at the same time... Yeah. Because at that moment, the the Keymaster is finally opening the door. Neo is finally going through the doorway. You get all the bright light. Mm -hmm. That would have been the moment to be like, and cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Instead, what you got was everybody being like, what? What? What's what's happening? Who's yeah. this guy? Instead, we get the huge dialogue with the architect. You got Neo going in to save Trinity. You've got the reminder, like, oh yeah, Smith is possessing this guy in the real world. Yeah, somehow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think introducing the idea of the architect in the second one would be good, but then to also have them make it to him and hear all this stuff too much. It would have been better in the third one to be. Yeah. Like, and if he had done it like at the source or something, like he had made it, he thought he had done it all, and they're like, "Guess what? Doesn't matter. We've done it six times already." And he's and so you, then you kind of have that immediate moment of, "Do do I bother continuing, or uh, does it matter anymore?" Yeah, I think have they faith. kind of edited it 
the two differently were like the architect, you know, kicking the third one off with Neo being challenged so much so at the source with the architect of like, why do I bother then? Or should I bother mm-hmm. then? It would have, I think, been a better fit mm-hmm. um, for his journey and kind of made his decision in the third one to continue and to fulfill like what he is now believing, you know? Yeah. I think that would have been more important in the third one. He gets the closest to believing he's the one. Yeah. And that is that idea that it doesn't matter if you're the one, because we'll, we're going to reset the system anyway, like we have six times before that is a strong blow to, and can cause a crisis of faith in a, in a, a significant way late later in the game i yeah. think yeah but yeah the the second one like i i still enjoy it. i remember when it came out my friends and i went and saw it and i dressed up as neo and went mm. to the theater to go see it by the way reloaded came out like early summer late spring something like that mm-hmm. and i remember it was hot <laughs> and i was wearing black boots black jeans black shirt and a freaking trench coat yeah and it was hot <laughs> I remember being like, this was a stupid idea, but being excited to go and watch the matrix. So <sighs> goofy kid back then. Goofy kid. Yeah. I remember ditching school to go see the matrix on like the first showing of the day. <laughs> like oh, that's nice. what my friends and I did. Um, yeah, I, I still, as much as like, I feel was faulted and reloaded and how, how they tried to pile too much onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still am a fan of it. I think solely because Morpheus in Zion, when he gives his like speech to Zion of like not being afraid of just confronting the problem, confronting your fear and choosing to not let it control you. I think his speech is pretty cool. I think his monologue at the end is, is great. Um, I do wish they would have, not cheapened his character by kind of giving him that look of like a, a crazy religious old man. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's still a lot in reloaded that I can forgive and still enjoy the movie. So like when I watch the franchise, obviously I'm like full attention during the first one. I'm at full attention during the second one and I'm at most Mm -hmm. attention during the third. Okay. Um, I was about to ask how you would rate them in relation to each other. I would rate the whole franchise, honestly, in the exact order that they came out. Like, from favorite to least favorite. Interesting. (laughs) That's interesting. Um, Actually, I'm going... I saved a meme that I saw earlier this week that I'm going to post, which is very relevant to what you just said. So go to our Instagram to see that. But I feel, personally... I think the second one is kind of a dip for me. I think I like the third one a little bit more than the second. Really? One. Really? Yeah. All right. And I I I I think there's a lot of little reasons for that. Some of it I think is movie making things like mm-hmm. I have issues with like the CGI and the the pacing and things of the second one more than I do in the third one. Okay. Okay. But well, the third one. Let's jump into revolutions. It kind of picks up right where the second one ended where Neo's in that coma next to that guy who's a secret assassin trying to kill him. And uh, and Neo in The Matrix, because he's in this coma, he's kind of stuck in a purgatory middle ground between not really in The Matrix, kind of in The Matrix. 
and he's he's stuck between the human world and the machine world, which is basically purgatory. Mm-hmm. And it's ran by the train man, who is another new character. Which is yet another new character that you're like, what? <laughs> with a, a funny name and a funny job, a specific name and a funny job. And this train man apparently works for the Merovingian. Mm-hmm. He's like a gross bum that runs the train station. I don't know why there's a train station taking people from between reality and the matrix well he's not taking people he's taking programs sure mostly programs and neo apparently yeah uh introduced to this little indian girl who becomes important later on and not really important in this movie no but i do like sati i think she is very sweet i think she serves a really good purpose which is kind of funny to say considering as her program father is talking to neo he's Mm -hmm. Pretty much tells Neo, no, my daughter serves no purpose. That's why I'm like making a deal with the Merovingian so that she'll be safe and not exiled. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, program they, thinking. They, they give her a weird name, too. Um, oh, yeah. Agent Smith calls her the last exile. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, well, she's another character with a specific name. She's going to have a specific role. And then she didn't really do much besides hang out with the Oracle. Yeah, she makes cookies else. with the Oracle. But she has yeah. a, a role in the fourth one. Yes. Um, which which I was happy I about. I really was happy about that. Yeah. But so the issues with the third one I have, they try to recreate the lobby scene from the first one, but it's just with Trinity and Morpheus and the Seraph. And... Uh, but the best way they can think to make it different is the guys go upside down and go onto the ceiling. Yeah, they run on the ceiling and have the shootout. But it it fails yeah. so hard at at just the magic or like just the excitement of that lobby shootout scene from the first one. But yeah, I remember watching that and being like, alright, they flip upside down. I feel like yeah. they'd be easily taken out, and they are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, if you thought this would make it cooler than the first one, it's not cooler. It's it's worse, actually. <laughs> well, and then, so that scene, though, is another example of like them trying to hint at or introduce another character arc that they're never going to mm. Talk about more. They see Seraph coming through, and they're like, "Oh shit, it's him!" Oh man, I thought he was gone. And you're like, "Wait a minute, what is Seraph's background?" You're never going to get it. In fact, after the third one, you're never going to hear about Seraph again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh well. <laughs> uh, the other weird thing: they changed the Oracle actress. So they they, they use. They use way too much exposition to explain the fact that they changed the Oracle actress. Yeah, that was almost like them trying to just save face with the audience. Now, they changed actresses because the original Oracle passed away. Okay. So they had to still have the Oracle in the third movie because she's pretty important to Neo in the third movie. Um, What kind of makes me shake my head though is like yeah they're blatantly like yes i look different i had to change faces i do this like they spend like way too long like a line okay but i would prefer just not not even acknowledge it just like this is the the oracle we all understand 
but <laughs> a line would be fine. But they spent a long damn time going like, I am the Oracle. Sometimes I do this. Sometimes I don't. I'll change the faces if I want to. So it means this sometimes. I'm like, shut up. Move on. It's, what are you doing? It's another choice that I'm trying to understand. Like, but you're the one that made it. <laughs> yeah. I think the only character that actually deserved her explanation of the change of face would have been Neo. Because yeah. once he has taken on the the title of the one in Reloaded, they their dynamic, their relationship is different than everybody else's relationship with the Oracle. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that they kind of hint at. He's the only one that revisits her. Yeah. Regularly. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I mean, point. even when Morpheus takes Neo to see her, Morpheus does not go in to see her. Morpheus mm-hmm. waits outside for Neo. So you get that sense of, like, once you've seen the Oracle, that's you don't see her again. Right. But She's Neo... everything you need. Yeah, but Neo visits her regularly. Yeah. Yeah, so for Agent Smith to visit her, and I guess it's their first interaction that we've seen, uh, they have all this whole conversation. And then Agent Smith tries to replicate himself in her like he's done with every other program, Seems to succeed, but things go a little bit crazy. Uh, I mean, you just yeah. jumped like through the whole <laughs> film and went right for it. <laughs> that's true. But, I mean, that's fair. That, uh, so going back, the the assassin that was in the coma next to, to Neo yep. wakes up. They have this whole conversation, and it's very clear to the audience, uh, even if you were a, weren't paying attention, just based on the way he's talking, that this is Agent Smith. This yeah. guy in the real world is Agent Smith somehow. It takes Neo a little bit too long, I think, to realize that because it's pretty obvious. Well, especially with... Okay, so we kind of glossed over why Neo is in a coma, and it kind of actually is relevant to the third one. So yeah. it turns out that Neo has his powers that he has in the Matrix, they kind of transferred to the real world for him, and he's able to stop and disable the Sentinels at the very end of Reloaded. Yeah. And that exertion... Just like the bullets. Yeah, and that exertion of, like, Neo Force (laughs) uh, knocks his ass out. Jumping back into the third one. (laughs) That's extremely relevant because... He has this interaction with uh, this Agent Smith, uh, whatever avatar, and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, they have this fight, and and Agent this Agent Smith avatar blinds Neo. He like electrocutes him in the eyeballs and burns him, and he can't see anymore. Except he has the Matrix sight, where he in the real world he can see this glowing, fiery Agent Smith figure. Yeah, he he ends up being able to see... It's not Matrix code anymore, it's just like... Yeah. It, think of like, okay, for comic book folk, uh, for those not comic book folk, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Neo kind of goes Daredevil right. in Matrix Revolutions in the real world, where he's blind, but he's able to see based off of like his surroundings and mm-hmm. the the lights and the reflections and sounds and all that reverberate mm-hmm. into him where he can yeah. like 
bat radar almost superpower. He basically pulls a daredevil, folks. Yeah, but it seems to be based on his connection to the Matrix. Yeah. And so he has a connection to these machines and their programs and stuff in the real world. And he can see them even though he's blind. He doesn't have any actual vision. Yeah. So he can see Agent Smith as like this fiery figure in the darkness and realizes it's him and not the guy he was fighting. So that, I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. And there, but as complicated I, as it is. I do like their fight. I think it's a high stakes fight. I think the the playfulness of Agent Smith. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not Agent Smith anymore, so just Smith. Um, yeah. Is still kind of in line with the character. I think. I think Smith becomes a little too playful, and it kind of takes away from like the intimidation factor, the sinister mm-hmm. factor of his. Um, but. It, it's not horrible. It just, yeah. to me, it kind of does that. Uh, one problem I have with their fight, though, is Neo is blinded. You know, he's, like, desperately trying to fight back, but he, he can't see. He's, like, swinging the, the pipe around mm-hmm. kind of frantically a couple times. And then out of the blue, he's able to see Smith for who he really is. And then blows his head up when he takes the pipe to the head. Uh, but my, my issue with that is, like, they treat Neo's blindness kind of inconsistently. Yeah. So, if he's suddenly able to... And when you see Smith through Neo's vision, I mean, he's it's not, like, subtle. It is prominent. Right. It is like, oh, no, that's him. It's almost detailed. He's just yeah. on fire. Yeah. He's a bright, <laughs> orange, burning figure that looks exactly like Smith. It's very clear. Yeah. Uh, and you would assume after that, like, oh, Neo's sight is crazy cool and, cra- mm. you know, intense. Like you said, is uh, attached to the machines through his time in the Matrix. So he's going to be able to, like, navigate and see everything. Mm. But he can't fly a ship. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he needs Trinity to fly the ship for him, but he kind of navigates because he can see where the source is. He's like, hey, go over there. That's where we need to go. <laughs> hey, hang a right here. <laughs> yeah. And so, it, yeah, it's not the most clear, but it's it's it pro- it serves the plot. It does serve the plot. I just, I think it was a little inconsistent with it, but it's, I mean, I'm basically nitpicking at that point. Sure, um, sure. But I think... One of the, uh, I'm trying not to jump too far ahead, (laughs) but Revolutions is just kind of like a, I feel like Revolutions was compiled because the Wachowskis were like, oh shit, we tried too much in the second movie, we have to conclude this story, Mm. let's just pile everything into a two hour movie and hopefully end it. Yeah, that's how Revolutions kind of feels to me. Now I forgive it a lot because I'm a big fan of the final fight scene. You know, the whole fight sequence in the rain between Neo and Smith. Even though I'm kind of critical about it at the very, very end with the CGI mm-hmm. raindrop punch, um, but their fight is really cool. And honestly, yeah. let's face it, everyone went into Matrix Revolutions mm-hmm. to watch Neo versus Smith for the final showdown. That was all 
the audience wanted. That's all the mm-hmm. audience cared about was, no, we want to see Neo kick mm-hmm. Smith's ass. Right. <laughs> Just right. give us that. <laughs> and I think it does pay off that. I think you it get does. A, a really good fight out of it. I actually like the uh, fighting in Res- Revolutions more than I do in Reloaded. I think that there's just technically there's some weird wiredness, the weird yeah. I mean weird it, things don't feel right the force and gravity and inertia don't feel as good in re, uh, revolutions as they do in You mean in, in reloaded reloaded there's a lot of r words there's a lot of r's they don't feel as good or real in reloaded as they do in resurrection I I'll give you that I would agree or with rev- that revolution revolutions revolution. yeah um but I still like I like Neo's kind of understanding in revolutions of his journey is ending. Mm-hmm. Like it's his mm-hmm. time. It, it's time to end it. I like that. He understands that. I like that when he takes time to meditate and kind of think about it, I actually really appreciate that about his character mm-hmm. because it's almost like, it's not that he's, meditating on the choice or like, Hey, I'm probably going to die. I like that. It's really just him kind of preparing himself to say goodbye mm-hmm. to essentially his family. I, I kind of, I do like that. It feels very human where he's like, I, I need to make peace with what's about to happen. And I think everyone knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah. And he's kind of come far enough that he knows he's at the end. Yeah. He know he knows that the 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 destiny that has been predicted for him is going to come true. He's he's believed it. He he can believe it as much now as ever because he's kind of come over that hill and mm-hmm. he knows we're we're getting to the source. We're definitely going to do it, but that means I have to die. Trinity has to die because that is part of the prophecy. Basically, because they're, I mean, they're one. Yeah, like they are a union. You do, you don't get one without the other. You really don't. Yeah. So during the process of going to the source, Trinity does die. She gets impaled on that all that stuff. Yeah. So before before we get into her death scene there there's a couple things that i, I want to touch on before we get to that final sequence one is um because i i have a lot to say about like her death and that whole yeah. final the finality of the the trilogy um but before that i don't know why so the actual attack on zion when the machines have officially drilled into mm-hmm. the the docking bay mm-hmm. and the sentinels are coming in and they're fighting. I honestly, this is why I don't hate revolutions. And it's because the stuff inside Zion, the actual yeah. like battle scenes are fucking great. I yeah. love the attack on Zion. I think mm-hmm. it's intense. It is brutal. You feel like you, as the audience member, you are like, there is no way out. Like, how do you destroy this many sentinels? 
Right. Um, it does a great, I think the Matrix, all the Matrix movies, especially the last two, even though they are limited by the technology, I think they still do a good job of imagining and showing the scope or the scale of the threat. Yeah. And no, we didn't really see that again until uh, maybe two towers. Yeah. And, and just getting that full understanding of how severe and significant and massive the amount of sentinels up there. There's a sentinel for every human being on earth and they're coming in. <laughs> and they're all world. coming into this one compound, which does not have every human on earth. Yeah. Um, I think the battle is really cool. I love the desperation mode that everyone's in with the machines and all that. Um, mm -hmm. I love the sequences of them having to reload. I think for as futuristic -y and uh, machinery, you know, all this kind of stuff, yeah. the way they have to like stop the fight, the humans have to stop what they're doing to reload yeah. while they're still being attacked. It really kind of gives you like, or at least me, it kind of brought me back to like civil war stories and, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff where you're like, you, you could be firing, but you have to stop to reload mm -hmm. your weapon and it's not an automatic reload. Right. And I, I kind right. of appreciate how they treated that. Like, yeah, they've got these giant robot machines that they have these massive machine guns in, but when they mm -hmm. call reload, they're just, they're sitting yeah. ducks. Yeah, and they have to rely on like the logistics of this system where they have these guys in this bay waiting to be called out with this, just this pallet of ammunition <laughs> yeah. that they need to wheel out there as quickly as possible. They don't have any guns. It's kind of like World War II when the Russians gave this one guy gets a gun, you get the ammo, and when that guy dies, you can have his gun. Yeah. So you, you just are running around this war with, a, with ammo. And that's your job. And you're just and hoping then, that you're not the one that gets taken out. I really like, for as futuristic -y as that whole battle on Zion is, mm -hmm. I like that they... I think they did a good, jo a good job of giving that old-school battle mentality in a futuristic mm -hmm. world. I yeah. really appreciate... I think they did a good job with that. Um, and I love how, like... That the whole like attack on Zion is crazy because there's so many parts to it. You've got like the actual docking bay where they're they're doing the initial fighting. Like that's mm -hmm. the uh, oh, what's the word? Um, I can't think of the word. Anyways, that's the initial like first battle. You've got mm -hmm. Niobe trying to just speed race into the into the bay. Yeah. While the ship she's flying is like being busted apart by sentinels, she's—I yeah. mean, she's limping. They're and trying to come through like the back door sewers and get there fast enough because the all the ships have an EMP on them, yeah, so that they can detonate it to wipe out the sentinels. Hopefully, they're, they're they trying to—they're hoping to at least be able to save the bay to get people to a safer spot. At yeah. least, if anything, delay just to buy right. some time. Like that's buy the time. idea. By time um, for Trinity and Neo. Yeah. Who are taken off to the Machine City for mm -hmm. Neo to fulfill the prophecy, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, There's a couple of people running around with, like, bazookas who are trying to slow down the drills. I love the the homemade weapons that they've got. I love that they're, they're calling on the... Uh, what is the word, Jake? <sighs> I don't know. What it starts with an I. They're not like the actual military. They're the um, infantry. Thank you. 
You're welcome. Oh my god! I was like, what the <laughs> fuck word is this? <laughs> yeah, like, they're just the people called upon of, hey, we need... Mm-hmm. Like, you're not military, you're not certified soldiers, but we need like someone else. Yeah, they're the militia. Yeah. I really like that. Um, and that's kind of high stakes, because they've got sentinels hunting down people, and if a mm-hmm. sentinel catches wind of, like, one of your your rockets or your bombs, they're going to come after you, which is very, right. like, oh, shit, these things can maneuver better than a human can. So you're kind yeah. of, like, high stakes. Yeah, um, they're pretty terrifying. And I, I love, so Niobe crashes through, they set the EMP on this huge surge, and you get that, like, peaceful shot of the Sentinels falling. You got mm. the celebration, and you as the audience are like, oh, man, I can breathe now. And then you got the general going, are you kidding? If yeah, I was the machines, you, you I'd be sending us. everything right now. And immediately you're like, oh, my God, I would be mm. sending the entire force. Like... Yeah. They just disabled themselves. It's ours for the taking. Like, But there's a shot during the, the surge of Sentinels mm-hmm. where they're shooting at like that hole that's up in the ceiling, right? Yeah. And you've got all the Sentinels flying through, and it's just massive amount of them. And then you get the, like, push. And it's just yeah. that flooding of Sentinels. That yeah. shot... To this day, I'm still like, how do people, not more people, talk about, at yeah. that moment, how just, like, mm-hmm. defeated you feel? <laughs> yeah, because at first, when they first come through and everybody's ready, they're trained on that spot, and they start firing, and you feel like it's manageable. You're like, we yep. can do this all day because we're shooting them as fast as they're coming through. And then, yeah, they just, like, gain ground, and they all come through, and you're like, no, we don't have this. We don't have <laughs> this. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always felt like that shot has just been ignored and just not given enough credit, because it's such an intense shot. Seeing mm-hmm. that many Sentinels flood in to the docking bay is just, it's disheartening. <laughs> it really yeah. is. Even when I watch it these days, I'm still like, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's overwhelming odds for sure. Um yeah, so then you've got the the mass push from the Sentinels and the machines coming into Zion. You've got everyone in Zion, they no longer have the giant uh I forget what they're called, but the giant robots that they've been using, that's gone. So yeah, now all they can all rely out. on are the EMP guns. And there's mm-hmm. not very many of them. And there's only a few people that can hold on to the guns. Now it's just desperation mode. We're going to mm-hmm. die. I love this whole sequence. Like, I, I genuinely love This is why I don't hate revolutions. And it's solely because of the final act of the film. Yeah. Because then you get Neo and Trinity. And here's where I'll, I'll go into her, her death scene. Them flying into the Machine City. Trinity has already told Neo, like, I understand we're going to die. And mm-hmm. I am okay with that because, and it's kind of like the, the couple on Titanic. Right. That are like in the bed together. Mm-hmm. She's like, I get that we're not coming back, but at least we're going to go out together. And at least mm-hmm. we've experienced love. At least we we get to be together. Um, but there's a, there's a, that shot. So the machines are like firing on the Nebuchadnezzar and Neo tells her just go up. 
And it's such a great callback and reminder that humans scorched the sky. I mean, like they have darkened everything because the sun helped give the machines, or at least it was thought that the sun was providing power to the machines. And so when they go through the, the clouds, it is the very first time Trinity has ever seen the actual sky. Right. And she's overwhelmed by how beautiful it is. Yeah, she even just whispers, like, it's beautiful. Yeah. I I really love that detail, and I love the timing of this part, because it's not super drawn out. It's very like, you go up, she sees mm-hmm. the sky for the first time, actual sunlight for the very first time on her skin, and immediately they go down. Yeah. And it's like she got to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and that's it for her. Because then they crash, and yeah. Then I I understood Trinity was going to die. I was, like, sad to see Trinity go. Because as a fan right. of this franchise, like, you, I was attached to Trinity. I will say she has, like, the world's longest death scene in the <laughs> history of movies. Yeah. She has how many steel rods poking through her body. Yeah. And she monologues for like six and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. It's a long time. And like, they do that thing where you think, oh, she's going to pass. And then she has that, like, even more to say. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. Second and third wave. It. That's my really only criticism with Trinity's death, but I absolutely love the little, the the quick second that she gets where she gets to see the sky for the first mm. time ever. And, and it really is, be- I mean, they did such a great job of making the sky, like, it looks so beautiful. <laughs> it genuinely yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, especially compared to the crap that they live in. I know. <laughs> And then you got Neo going through the machine tunnel. And this is where I know the movie has drew tons of criticism. I criticized it for this too. It goes very Wizard of Ozzy at this mm-hmm. point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. With the like giant floating head guy. Yeah, giant floating head guy. You got the weird machine creatures, which I was like, man, this just feels forced and weird yeah little did i know what was coming in matrix resurrections <laughs> um <laughs> i'm giving hints of like some opinions uh <laughs> yeah uh yeah i just i'm okay with that i love neo just going up and just fly out saying like you need me to go and defeat smith i'm gonna go do it but you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta lay off like leave zion yeah. alone we're looking for peace. Leave us alone. Right. Form a kind of a tentative truce. Yeah. The machines. Like, we don't have to like each other, but you quit messing with us, we'll quit messing with you. Let's just... Yeah. <laughs> and to me, it's not just Neo kind of fulfilling that prophecy, but it's almost like Neo is still acting out of rebellion against the architect and against mm-hmm. kind of the, the plan. Right. Because he's still like, hey, I'm all right if I if I die. I understand that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen, but let's just 
Like, what if we didn't piss each other off? (laughs) Right. Right. If his destiny was to just fight them forever and defeat them through force or violence, then if he doesn't completely succeed, then it's just going to keep continuing over and over and over. Yeah. But if he can make peace with them and get them to agree to some mutually beneficial arrangement, then he could try something new that's never been tried before and actually actually succeed as opposed to just fulfilling the cycle that's been happening. And obviously the machine agrees, plugs him into the matrix one last time. And I, I do really like their fight. I love the setup. I love the fact that it takes place in rain. There's just Mm -hmm. something really cool about Kung Fu fights in the rain. It's just cool. (laughs) It's just the way it is. (laughs) Yeah. It's like peanut butter and jelly. And I love that Smith walks out. The real Smith walks out and says, yeah. like, I already know how this ends. So the rest of me is just going to sit back and watch. And you're like, oh, dang, one on one. Because I was a little afraid that we were going to get another poorly CGI burly brawl. Yeah, I, I had a fear. I'm glad that it didn't go that right. route. Yeah, you, you expect oh no, they have to try to one-up the last one and make it even yeah. larger. <laughs> right. And but they I was, have to. I like that they, they made it one-on-one. I don't mind the fights in the air. I think they're kind of cool. I, I do like yeah. the sonic booms when they hit each other. I, I think they work honestly better than some other fights we've had in the air in yes. since then, like 10 years later. Even. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I Obviously, my favorite part of their fight is when they go in the building and they kind of recreate their subway fight a little bit. I'm okay yeah. with those member berries. I think, like, I like seeing Neo get shoved into the wall and it breaks in that circular motion behind it, or that pattern, mm-hmm. I mean. Um, mm-hmm. I like the callback to Neo telling him to, you know, bring it on. Yeah. Um, even like the, I mean, even when Neo falls, it's still intense and you get. Smith getting cocky, which mm. is his fault because every time he has been overconfident, he has failed. Right. And and I, I I genuinely like that Neo just accepts I'm gonna beat Smith at his own game by letting Smith win. Yeah. Like in a way. Beat himself kind of. Yeah. Like I don't I I can endure quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to let you exhaust yourself. It's like a boxing match. Right. right. <laughs> it's like Rocky. Yeah. It's like, I'm not a great boxer, but I can let you beat me up until you're too tired to continue. <laughs> and then I, I could just outlast you. Yeah. That's all I've got. Like, I'll just exert a little more patience than you will. Of yeah. course, then you get the goofy line of the Oracle telling him the famous line of, like, everything that has a beginning has an end, and that mm-hmm. wakes Neo up, and that's when he makes the choice of, like, oh, all right, here we go. Mm-hmm. Now, I like that Neo defeats Smith kind of the same way he did originally, only said this time it's on, like, a massive scale. Mm-hmm. I still find it a little... I don't know. I guess it's kind of like the uh, he he kills the it's it's like the um, like vampire or werewolf myth. If you kill the one that turned everyone, then yeah, 
all the rest all the that it's turned fall in line. Yeah, uh, it still feels a little kind of like like I said earlier, where it felt like they were feeling forced that they had to just end it. Yeah, wrap it up. Yeah, um, and that kind of bumps me out, but I do like I like seeing the Smiths all get destroyed. But what I like the most of that whole sequence is seeing the Matrix reset. Yeah. I do really like that. I think that's a... It just... It looks really cool when they do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, Revolution's like... I like the ending of it. I think one of the coolest shots of that movie is right after Neo has defeated Smith and the, the truce between the machine world and Zion goes into effect. Mm-hmm. I love the music that plays kind of that, like, uh, like a choir or whatever kind of vocalization. Um, and again, Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus throws down some, like, you just see it all in his face. Mm -hmm. He is validated. Right. Which is such a cool moment to see that Morpheus is like, he's not this crazy, Mm-hmm. religious old man like he is validated the dude that he has put all of his faith and belief in just yeah. like did it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and I, and I love that you get Niobe officially believing in Neo and thanking Neo you've got the dude that he saved who's so ecstatic he runs and tells Zion we're saved, the war's over, Neo did it. I just I love like the celebration and that giant sigh of relief. Because yeah. it really does. I mean the final act of revolutions is so chaotic and right. so high stakes that like when you finally get to breathe during it, it's very like oh Yeah. Yeah, it pays off big time where you definitely didn't feel like you were going to make it. And so when you do, it's very fulfilling. It's fulfilling. I I love the end of Revolutions. I really do. I love the whole reset. I love the celebration. You're heartbroken at the same time, though, because Morpheus understands at the moment of truce, like, he knows the moment Neo and Trinity die, basically. Right. Yeah. it's, It's bittersweet because you are very excited. You are not about to die. But it means you've lost your two best friends. Basically. Right. Well, and Trinity, I mean, Morpheus is kind of a father figure to Trinity, which I have yeah. always, and to this day, still say a big criticism I have of revolutions. Morpheus and Trinity never said goodbye. Yeah. I feel kind of robbed because I feel like if anyone was going to say goodbye to each other, it right. was going to be Trinity saying goodbye to Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she the, she was probably he was probably more of a father figure to her than he was even to Neo. Yeah, based on time together. Yeah, because he served more of like kind of the mentor to Neo, yeah. kind of like the the wise old man, if you will. Um, right. But I do love just that whole. I love the bitter sweetness of it, and you just see it all over Morpheus's face. Um. And I do, like I said, and then you get the reset of the Matrix. And I guess this is the last time we ever see the architect of him walking up to the Oracle. You get Satie showing back up, and she's Mm -hmm. apparently her purpose is painting the skies now. I guess Mm -hmm. that's 
her programming, <laughs> which yeah. you're like, oh, okay, so she has a purpose. What happened to her parents? Um, yeah. And then you get that like open ended where the the architect is like, "Do you really think this piece will last?" And Oracle's like, "Well, it'll last for as long as it needs to." And you're like, right. okay, we're that's hinting. not really satisfying. <laughs> we're, we're hinting to more shit. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> then, I, then, so I I'm not a big fan of that kind of hint, but I love the hint of Seti asking the Oracle, "Do you think we'll ever see Neo again?" And she goes. You know, I don't know, but I believe. And she's like, mm-hmm. that's it. And I, I do like the final song. <laughs> that yeah. like giant like choral. <laughs> I'm not going to recreate it, folks, but <laughs> I love that. I really like the final song to it. I, I think Revolutions ended the trilogy well. I think it ended Neo's story well. Yeah. Even if, like, there's a lot in Revolutions that I could have done without. I mean, we skipped, mm. like, the whole movie just to talk about the best part. But that's okay, because that's the <laughs> relevant part. <laughs> but did you feel like it left anything unanswered that you needed answers for? I mean, everything, like, the architect hinted at, all of their little character hints, I think, would have been cool to see maybe more of or have fulfilled like I, I still want to know what Seraph's role was before he started guarding the Oracle and since when does the Oracle need a guard she never had one in right. the first movie um, right. I want I kind of wish we could have seen more or learned more about the council in Zion how were those people chosen what are their hmm. What what's their actual purpose? I think yeah. that would have been kind of neat, especially because I love the conversation between uh, the head of the council and Neo. And I always wish like there could have been a little more to that because that was when it felt like we're we're trying to stay grounded. We're trying to bring it back. Um, yeah, yeah. I just I think I don't like the train the train man. I don't. I'm not a big <laughs> Merovingian fan. I think he's just kind yeah. of obnoxious. Yeah. Um, and he's super obnoxious in his one scene in Revolutions where I was like, I don't <laughs> care about you. But I do yeah. still wish Persephone would have been used better instead of just mm. sitting off to the side being like, oh, she's in love. She'll kill us all if she has to. She's in love. I feel like them rescuing Neo happened really fast for as like impossible of the stakes as they made it seem they should get him back with like <laughs> yeah. hardly any issue at all <laughs> yeah they're just kind of like let him in they're like oh there he is he's a, just go do that okay. yeah um i do think when trinity and neo see each other again for the first time when she gets off of the train they hug yeah is it me or does it just feel odd <sighs> Like this, the the it's style just, or the the CG almost. Yeah, I, feel, I just I, feel, I don't know if it's the lighting or what, but if well, I feel like, like if if the love of my life was put mm-hmm. into a coma and I was told that the stakes of getting him back or getting her back, whatever you know, yeah, were impossible. Mm-hmm. To the point of almost having to die. When you saw your significant other again, yeah, 
wouldn't you like did it. not only just hug them but wouldn't you like embrace them completely like a big old obnoxious kiss almost and like happy tears almost just like hey we weren't yeah. going to see each other again instead we yeah, get like just this weird like oh crescendo moment and then a, a little hug and then it's like okay we're moving on yeah but that's a good point it does feel a little lighter than the stakes led on yeah um i also think it would have been i think there is a big loss of potentially learning more about the matrix itself or maybe some other characters had Neo been stuck in the train station longer? Yeah. And encountering more programs. You know, maybe make maybe they should have made the third one for Trinity storyline of having a fight to get Neo back and mm -hmm. then being told of the choice of like being, you know, hey, Neo's gonna have to die. Yeah. And I think that would have been interesting to see her go through that journey of fighting to get Neo back only to understand like she's going to lose mm -hmm. him again. Yeah. Yeah. Neo doesn't really learn any big significant lessons or revelations during his time in purgatory. Right. He doesn't meet anybody other than the couple of people we already talked about. And so it's, it's not like, um, I'm reminded of, uh, I don't remember which Harry Potter it is, but uh, towards the end when they're in that like big white uh, room with the train station and stuff, yep. and you learn a lot of interesting, significant things in that like uh, secret or not secret, but like in between world metaverse thing. And that you don't really have that. And it's not, doesn't seem to be a huge significant point of, him being in that other than he's in a coma just kind of hanging out yeah really like oh he, for some reason he's trapped in this like machine purgatory yeah but he's gonna get out in 10 minutes so don't worry too much about it i've always kind of felt <laughs> like that should have been there should have been more meat to that point of the story yeah yeah or um, gravity or something but in terms of like an overall i think revolutions ended it well enough yeah. I enjoy it well enough. I never felt the need for a fourth film. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like Neo's story was said and done, and I liked knowing he he still wins. Yeah. I like that. I like thinking Neo gave the finger to the architect and won mm -hmm. by right. just calling and the truce. It's a very <laughs> classic... Uh, a hero move and a classic, I guess, uh, messiah messianic move to yeah. sacrifice yourself for everybody else, fulfills a prophecy and all that stuff. Um, I think that it, it, the, their deaths, both of their deaths, are meaning so meaningful. Yeah. That my main takeaway is to undo that and for them to be resurrected. And unless it's not like. It's not like resurrecting Jesus, where that's like the focus of the story, <laughs> right? And the reason, like that, that actual like death was more important than the resurrection was in the in the Matrix. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I always felt like I I was fulfilled as a fan, even though the sequels were not 
nearly as like uh, inspiring or impactful mm. on my personal life like that first one, but I felt fulfilled as a fan. I really do. Yeah. Like, and I know it's an unpopular opinion to say like I don't hate two and three. I have a lot of yeah. criticisms criticisms of them, but I don't hate them. I actually enjoy them, and right. especially. Like when it comes to the third one, which is the unanimously hated one, I'm like, man, everything in Zion makes up for yeah. everything that the movie lacks. It's yeah, that makes Revolutions a good movie to me. And I I enjoy the almost all of the movies in the real world, and I think how they do the real world is really interesting. Yeah, and, and um, the battles are all cool and stuff. And then they announced the fourth one, and I I'm not gonna lie, I was excited for it. I was like, hey, I yeah. get to see Keanu Reeves come back as Neo. I don't know how they're going to do that, because mm -hmm. he's dead. Uh, <laughs> according to Keanu Reeves, when he got the call about it, his reaction was that, too, of like, I'm dead. I don't know how I'm going to come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I was interested, at least, at minimum, I was interested because I enjoy... Keanu Reeves so much as Neo. I enjoy Carrie Ann Moss's Trinity. Yeah. So to have them is obviously a selling point. You wouldn't you wouldn't have it if you didn't have them. Yeah, I really loved though uh, Morpheus and Smith, and so to not have Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Hugo he, Weaving. The fuck, the Hugo Weaving. Thank you. Uh, to not have them, I was like oh, a little bit nervous about that. Not yes. because I don't like the the replacement actors, but just because those characters are so perfect and I kind of knew the odds were stacked against them. I love Jonathan Groff, especially in Mindhunter. Um, but it's so it's so different and it's so not what you would think you were going to get when you talk about Agent Smith. Um I did not like the replacement actors. I didn't either. I I I don't like. Uh, I don't know that I've seen a movie where I'm like, I really like. What's his name? How do you say? Yaya Abdul Mateen the second as Morpheus, the guy from Candyman. Yep. And he's he played Black Manta and Aquaman. Yes, he was decent. I liked him, mm -hmm. Aquaman. There was something else he was in uh, lately, though. Um. Maybe. I'm but yeah, he. I, I don't love him, and I. I don't like the new take of Morpheus. Morpheus was quite a bit different. It's not like he was just embodying Morpheus. He kind of transformed Morpheus into something else. Yeah. So, Matrix Four. Okay. When I went and saw it in the theater, I mean, dude, I picked the earliest showtime. I wore my Matrix shirt. I made sure to get home from work at a decent time, get to bed, get some good sleep. I got up extra early to drink my coffee. I was stoked because I was like, I get my like one of my all time favorite characters. I've got the everything that I heard leading up to it. I I was not that hesitant, mm -hmm. even minus uh, Lawrence Fishburne and minus Hugo Weaving. I was just excited because I wanted to know how are they going to bring Neo and Trinity back? And in my brain, I was like, oh, shit, they're going to be programs now. They're a part of the system now, like officially. Mm -hmm. This is going to be crazy. They're going to be like Smith 
Neil's going to have to be essentially like Smith, where he's going to have to find a way to unplug from the system and become like himself mm-hmm. again. It's like, that's going to be amazing. This guy, oh my God, I was so excited for it. I was really curious about Neil Patrick Harris. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went and saw it. <laughs> and immediately, like, opening scene where they're trying to recreate the opening scene of the first Matrix. Immediately, dude, I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what my thought was? My thought was, this feels like The Force Awakens. This feels exactly <laughs> like doing The Force Awakens again. <laughs> and I, I mean, they point out, like, hey, this, I feel like we've seen this story before. Yeah, but this is different. Like, something's yeah. off about it. And I was like, oh no. Like, mm-hmm. I'm okay with things being meta. Mm hmm. But it did not take me long to just be like, oh no, (laughs) they went overboard with the meta. Turning the whole Matrix franchise into a video game, which is actually just Thomas Anderson or Neo's memories of this previous life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hated that. I hated the conversation of them. What does the Matrix mean? Bullet (laughs) time. I, the amount of meta, I was like... joke about bullet time a lot which was weird yeah i i didn't hate the idea of taking the events of the first three movies of neo's life and turning it into the part of the collective consciousness of the system that of course you remember that everybody remembers that it was such a huge phenomenon yeah video game trilogy was such a huge phenomenon. Everybody knows all of the story and the beats. So that's why you remember it in your bones. I thought that was interesting. I thought that video games were interesting, although I was surprised there was no VR, nothing really modern about video games. It's not like (laughs) VR or the metaverse of like Facebook or social media, nothing actual modern was in the movie, which was weird. I thought, um, I, I thought it was interesting that Neo's going to the therapist and the therapist is trying to like convince him, hey, the stuff that you think you're seeing, it's not happening. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, oh my God, I was cringing in my seat when the guy who's the new Morpheus shows up yeah. as an agent. And at first I was like, oh shit, what a spin. Like, yeah. Morpheus has been turned into a program. This is crazy that they're going this route. Oh, mm-hmm. damn. And then you find out not nah, he's the, the video game avatar version of Morpheus, but he's a little different. And I know this is a stupid detail to fixate on, <laughs> but his wardrobe choices throughout yeah. the movie yeah. gave me a headache. Because I was like, <laughs> at no point would Morpheus wear this shit. And at yeah. no point would Neo program Morpheus to wear this shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant when I said he changed Morpheus so much to be different. And it didn't feel like he was embodying the character of Morpheus. Because, yeah, Morpheus wears a burgundy suit jacket one time as he's in the Matrix, <laughs> getting him out of the Matrix. That's about it. And so you took that into, oh, he's a very flashy, snazzy dresser. And it's like, no, he's not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No way, Jose. He's not at all. Um, 
But, like, I kept telling myself that first feeling of, like, okay, you probably came into this with too many fan theories, with too much, too high, you know, way too much hype. Let's just watch the movie for what it is. So, I, I obviously, I finished it in the theater. I left that movie, though, and I was like, man. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Maybe it just didn't hit you because I had just watched Spider-Man twice and then went yeah. and saw The Matrix. So I was like, maybe your love and excitement for Spider-Man, maybe that's just too much. Yeah. Like, you needed a palate cleanser in between. Yeah, I was thinking, like, maybe I needed to do that. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to focus on the stuff that bothered me, which there was a lot. Uh, <laughs> fucking machine friend, like, stop turning machine things into friendly humorous whatever i yeah. don't care about it it's not cute to me the only time it has really worked great was wally and he wasn't a side note he's the main fucking character okay. i i was like <laughs> i hated the little machine buddies in the new ship yeah. hated them we're friends with them now. It's symbiotic. Oh my god. I There were so many cringe moments in this. I don't think the cast worked well together either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of times when... Well, the, the like main girl who is at the very beginning and like yeah. gets her out, she has the blue hair and stuff. Um, she was likable enough, but I just was never connected to her in any real way. Yeah. And then she had that weird, the the guy who was essentially Cypher, he was outside the Matrix or Tank or whoever, he was outside the Matrix running the program, but he would like pop in as like a visible heads up. I did guy. not like that at all. That was weird. It I was so like weird. Um, yeah. There... <sighs> what did you think of the like whole conversation about with his boss who ends up being Smith? He's like, we real Warner Brothers has contacted us, and we need to make a fourth Matrix. And uh, it was all extremely meta. Yeah. And the name of the video game company is Deus Ex Machina, which was kind of funny, but not actually that uh, <laughs> severe. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was extremely self-referential, extremely meta, I, extremely member berries throughout the whole thing. Like I said, I think I think Lana Wachowski got way too caught up. And being mm -hmm. as meta as possible. I think it tripped up the writing. I think it tripped up the story. Now, there's a lot of really interesting moments in the movie that they never flesh out that I think would have made the story work better. Primarily being Thomas Anderson is suicidal now. Yeah. He has attempted to take his own life mm -hmm. and he's in therapy because of that. Right. I really wish they would have fleshed out that kind of storyline of like, so when he was apparently rebuilt, which is a weird thing. Yeah. But like when he was reinserted and resurrected and put back into the matrix with this new architect, um, I, I really wish we could have seen more of Neo's, kind of fall like mm. how do you go from saving machines and humans get rebooted into the system 
And because of that, you know something's wrong. You know something's off. Because mm-hmm. they hint at that, of like, you've been trying to do this. We've seen you do this. And I saw you leap off a building, but you looked like someone else. Which I... <sighs> there was a lot. I was like, what are they doing? But... <laughs> yeah. Um, it felt like, you know what they... All the like, here's what he actually looks like. With like the mm-hmm. the older man or whatever in the, the mirror reflection. Yeah, yes. I was like, "Is this? Did she watch Wonder Woman eighty four a few times and was like, you know what? It's a good idea. Let's turn the whole Steve Trevor thing into a full film." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of parts, and I didn't know if it was because it's been eighteen years since the last one came out or whatever. But yeah, I, I was kind of well. One thing I did like is I liked how when you first see Neo and throughout the entire time when you're actually in the Matrix, there wasn't a green tint or any sort of hint or telegraph that you're in the Matrix. So for a large part of the beginning half of the movie, I was like, are we in the Matrix? Are we not in the Matrix? Did society rebuild itself to be like normal now? Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I was just unsure where we were, when we were. And and I, th- I thought that that was actually interesting that... I was with Neo where I wasn't sure if I'm in the matrix or not. Yeah. I had, a, he had those like breaks of conscious where he felt like he was definitely in the matrix and he had like these, like he saw Morpheus and he saw all these things happen and then things seemed to reset or he seemed, he took like some drugs and he was like, Oh, I'd maybe just be having a psychotic ep- episode or something. So I'm not actually in the matrix. And so I didn't really know and he didn't really know. And so I thought that part worked, but, but for the most part, yeah, I would, I liked more uh, him kind of having those issues, being suicidal. Uh, there's a thing in like real life where people are convinced that they're in a simulation and they need to get out. And so sometimes they will like try to kill themselves in order to escape. So I thought maybe that was where it was going to go. And it didn't, didn't really go that way. Yeah. That's what I was. That's, that's my biggest disappointment is I think there was a, a really good potential of a story for Neo and they could have used it like they did in the first one of just having it be an actual reflection on society instead of trying to just be like overly meta about it. Yeah. Um, I also don't care for the ending. I thought the action scenes were actually really lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated the Merovingian yeah, uh, cameo. I thought I was like, of all the cameos you could have had in this movie, it was <laughs> right. him. Why? Right. They're like, hey, remember the Merovingian? And people are like, I remember it being a weird fucking word. That you right. Like, I remember him being the annoying French guy. Oh, look, he's yeah. back. But now he looks homeless. Um, yeah. I like, I, I agree the fights weren't as big or as prevalent as I thought they would be. But interestingly, the choreography and the actual fighting in the fights, I thought were really good. Yeah. And I thought were interestingly, noticeably influenced by later movies yeah like we have we have come so far from the matrix which changed action cinema forever and influenced so many movies but since then movies have continued to transform and change and improve and then we come to this movie and now you see it the matrix being influenced by other things yeah which i thought was interesting yeah i i really like uh neo tapping into his powers again. I I really like him controlling the missiles from the helicopters. I thought that was really cool. What do you think? 
what do you think about him not being able to fly and Trinity flying? What is that? Okay, about? the first viewing, really the first viewing, I was like, "God damn it!" <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no offense, Trinity, but god damn it. Yeah, um, I love Trinity. I just don't know why that makes sense. Yeah, I was trying. I mean, I that first viewing, dude. I was very much like, "Why are they making the choices that they made?" Like Lana, what are you doing? Um, but I took like a week from watching Matrix Resurrections that first time. I, I watched it again just a couple days ago, actually, because I wanted like, okay, I'm gonna palate cleanse. I'm gonna like watch a whole bunch of other stuff, and then I'll rewatch Resurrections and see if see if I like was just went into it with the wrong mindset or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did enjoy it more the second time around. There were decisions that I was like, okay, I'm okay with this now. Um, I just think it's a little bit clunky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could do without all the extra meta stuff. Trinity flying, I don't hate now. It kind of makes sense because they, they do talk a lot about like, hey, you and Trinity as a union, like that's when you're dangerous. And it turns out there's a lot of potential when you two are together. So it, yeah. Knowing that and knowing like their connection and how they're able to share stuff kind of helps make sense that she would absorb some of his ability. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it, it still feels a little forced. Um, I think my favorite little nod, honestly, as meta as the whole movie is, I think the best callback they have is Trinity doing the scorpion kick again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah which is like a split second moment. But to me, I was like, "There you go." <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like, "She's back. She's, she's right. fully, fully Trinity now." Um, I think Neil Patrick Harris as the new architect who is overly confident, and that is his downfall. I think that yeah. was a, a good choice. I like him as the new architect, actually, and it would okay. make sense that he would put himself in the position to be the therapist who's making sure Neo is constantly under control, like personally, because we know what you do when you are not actually being controlled. So I'm going to make it a point to actually Mm. control you. Yeah. The guy that plays the new Smith can't stand him as new Smith. Even on the second viewing, I was like, Mm. you lack all the cadence. You lack all, all the in, like intimidation, you like everything that made Smith such a great villain. You have yeah. none of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it seemed kind of secondary to to the analyst or the new architect, yep. and it seemed kind of like a Deus Ex Machina where he, he teams up with Neo at the last second to like save. Save him. He like doesn't want to lose Neo as his adversary, and they're gonna. They both have a similar goal against the architect. Yeah, staying free, I guess. And then he's like, "Well, our uh, abrupt alliance is over now." And you're like, "Okay." (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I was disappointed with Resurrections. Um, I think there was a lot of potential there. I think it could have been a really great story. Had they made the story more of just focusing on Neo kind of being 
woken up all over it. Like they do that, but I think they should have done it in a yeah. different way. And I think she, yeah. I think Lana Wachowski should have stayed away from being as meta as possible and pulling the, the force awakens mistake of just mm-hmm. trying to recreate the movie. But in doing that, showing people like pointing out, look, yeah. I recreated this scene. Like I hated all the spliced moments from the first matrix. Yeah. And it was always in a more fun, funny way yeah. than it used to be. Like honestly, I think the best meta moments in Matrix Resurrections were like all the little statues. Like the background yeah. stuff. That was well placed. Mm-hmm. I thought those had they just kept with that and then you could still talk about like, hey, the Matrix was this trilogy video game that Thomas Anderson mm-hmm. did really well. Um I think just leaving it at that would have been interesting enough and then focusing on what neo's life has been since being rebooted into the matrix um i did have to laugh that the the smith statue that his boss has is him being punched in the face during the slow-mo rain punch Mm -hmm. scene i also had to like my my biggest complaint though with the the new smith yeah is not once does he call him Mr. Anderson. He calls him yeah. Tom like the entire movie. And the whole time I was like, no, 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 no. He would not do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah. I just, I, I think Resurrections fell short. And I did go on to look at people's comments or like the consensus. And it looks like a, everyone was pretty much on the same page of like, yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't recapture the magic of that first one. It doesn't Yeah. It feels so unnecessary when you actually watch it. Yeah. That's exactly what I was gonna say. It doesn't capture the magic. It's it it is nice that it doesn't completely change the overall message. Mm-hmm. At, at its core it is still a movie about uh free choice and how most people are sheeple as they call them in the movie uh, prefer the comfort of sleep over waking up to the truth i thought that was interesting and relevant but it's still a continuation of that yeah i could have changed that I, which i'm glad they did. i really liked or like neil patrick harris in matrix resurrections i think he might be my favorite part of the fourth film i think he plays yeah. the character well i love his monologue at the end where he's talking about people in general and what he's learned um they could have left that in and that alone would have been a good enough callback because it still falls in line with how the machines operate. Um, yeah, I think that would have been good enough instead of them just being just overboard with it. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, it's been a while since we've done our scale. Do you have anything? Mm -hmm. I I don't really have like a lot to add to the fourth one. It was just kind of like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel the same way about it. I feel like it was fine. It was not terrible. Uh, if you love the original ones, you would have an enjoyable time watching it, but you're not going to love it. <laughs> I don't love it. I feel like it was... Uh, I I would also say that they kind of... It's worse than the other three. Yeah. And and for a lot of different reasons, mostly just the what we've talked about, that it's it doesn't capture that whole aesthetic and it tries too hard to be meta and complicated even though the other ones do try to be complicated but they try to be complicated in a more consistent way yeah and this is kind of a, a new kind of complicated which is awkward or yeah more awkward. 
<laughs> so I would I would give it around the eight eight oh, okay. ish seven seven eight. Yeah, you medium. You and I are right at the same spot, which sucks to say because I was like, man, but the, it made me think though, and I was like, okay, Hollywood, I think I think we've hit um a, a spot in this road of movie making. Maybe it's time to stop trying to make sequels that serve as like a uh, a hybrid reboot sequel kind of thing. Yeah, of successful franchises from way back then. I think it's time let the franchise be where it was, and maybe write something new. Right. Right, or have the balls to actually reboot it, and not just try to continue it and reference the the original. Yeah, like, like let's just the same timeline, but we're going to keep talking about the original one for you, the audience's benefit, not the actual character. Yeah, ma- I, I think Matrix Four really served as that. Like, I think this movie, if anything, could still have a positive impact in terms of maybe it's time we stop these like sequels after 14 17 years maybe it's time to just you know what let's leave those stories where they are and if we're gonna reboot the series let's just reboot the series let's not try to do like this weird mixture just Mm -hmm. yeah so it made me nervous to see like we got top gun coming up which is a sequel that's years upon years after the original it's not a franchise but i mean it kind of makes you wonder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, there's, I think there's probably a handful of movies, and we'll actually talk about these all next week. Movies coming out this year yeah. that uh, that fall into that category. I also just realized when I said I give it a seven or an eight, people don't, that don't know that's not like on a scale of one to ten. No, that's our that's scale. A, <laughs> that's on a dumb uh, movie boner scale between six and midnight. Yeah. So if you're looking at a clock. This is towards the bottom, not uh, not a good score. <laughs> I just realized that sounds like yeah. a good score. No, no, it's give it an it's eight. our <laughs> score uh, from six yeah. to midnight. So us giving it like a seven in between seven and eight. That that's still not that's not at attention that's, at all. Okay, <laughs> that's not what you want. It's a bad day, right? Um, there. Yeah. No, it, it's funny to me because I'm like, man, like I love the matrix i genuinely love that first i mean the trilogy is so good me too even with its flaws in the the second and third but i'm like honestly when i sit down i'm like i should watch the matrix it's one of those franchises where i'm like i could watch just the first one Mm -hmm. and that could be my like matrix viewing yeah, I, you don't need the complete experience. Yeah, I don't have to watch two, three. I will be getting four when they release it because obviously I'm obsessive like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the fourth one will grow on me over time. I didn't like. Yeah. I said I enjoyed it more the second time I watched it, but I think that's because I made sure to like palate cleanse the hell out of my brain. Um, yeah, but I just I I was like, man. You, you took a beloved character of mine and you just... Mm. Oh! Oh! I was going to say one more thing and then we should probably call it, but... Yeah. 
There was a moment, and it pissed me off even the second time I watched it. I, okay, I hate what they did with Niobe. I, yeah. I hate that character decision. I think it's cool that she becomes the general, but I hate how her character is. I'm like, yeah. judging from where we leave her in Revolutions, mm-hmm. she is hopeful. She is, like, she has faith. She is a better person at the end of Revolutions. We see her in Resurrections, and she's a grumpy old bitch who, <laughs> like, doesn't want her garden to be disrupted. Like, yeah, shut- she's more interested in maintaining this new system she's created than actually achieving what she originally thought. Yeah, for. and I, I think that's a disservice to the character. But my biggest, biggest, oh, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever <laughs> forgive it. What they do with the actual Morpheus character. So it's implied that he has passed away, Mm -hmm. but he didn't pass away a well-regarded man. She flat out tells Neo he had his group of fanatics. They were very religious, very like, I hated that. I was so mad about that. Still am. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, did Lana Wachowski get in like some heated argument with Lawrence Fishburne and she decided her revenge was going to be like, well, then Morpheus dies a fanatic. Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? If anything, Morpheus should be regarded as like basically the savior of the Zion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Save the world. Like he should be regarded almost as like, a mythical figure. He should be on that kind of <laughs> her passion for stuff is awesome. But yeah, so that I like even the second time I watched it when they when she takes him into the that room, immediately mm-hmm. I was like, Man, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just remembered Miley's favorite part of the movie. The whole process of getting Trinity out of the Matrix the like some reason that's plug-in thing the the way that that's edited where it goes back and forth between uh the girl who grew up from being the little indian girl at the end of revolutions um they're just like they they go back and forth between the rescue mission and the planning mission and it's edited so weird and i was like i don't like how this is going at all you know i also wish they would have done more with trinity uh story-wise, like, her also kind of struggling with knowing or having that gut feeling that something's wrong. Because she never really questions it. She's just like, hey, I played your game. Uh, Trinity kind of looks like me. That's weird. Yeah. And then she's like, I'm married with two kids. Hey. And then out of nowhere, she's like, stop calling me Tiffany. I'm Trinity. And you're like, what did you, like... When did you wake up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I, I thought the way they treated her reawakening was just clunky. I feel like that's a good word to use for Matrix Resurrections. A very clunky movie. It it does not feel like a smooth story. Whereas like the first one, as like complicated and crazy as that first one is, it's a pretty like you move. 
Yeah, very, very well organized and well paced. You kind of expect, I'm sure they didn't plan for this movie from the very end of the last one, no. but you did also still had 18 years. I kind of expect a little more organized than this. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I can't help but feel that Matrix 4 was basically Lana Wachowski being like, I want to be relevant again in Hollywood. Mm. Let's go with the cash grab. Yeah. And, it's been a while. and then it ended up not being that great of a cash grab for like, yeah, it's not, not doing great. The box. Office. No, it's not, which is, I mean, that's a bummer, I, I but make a better movie. I don't know. Right. That's a good start. <laughs> It would be different if it wasn't too great and we were like, everybody should go see this. Yeah. That would be very different. But I mean it's worth a watch uh, if you're a fan of the franchise. But that's our deep dive yeah. into the Matrix rabbit hole. There's so much that we we jumped over mainly because we're already at like four hours. Uh, yeah, trying to not bore you to death. I think we hit all the high points. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, and then next week, we're talking about 2022 movies that are coming out this year. Just going to play some bests on which ones are going to be good and which ones aren't. So we have a fun little game for uh, next week. Yep. Talking about uh, movies and it'll be interesting. I need to watch some trailers. Yeah, I, I need to. I have so yet. many trailers I need to look up and watch. It's unreal. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting trying to figure out which movies are going to be like good or successful all all the little goodies so that'll be a fun one for us and yeah. i think that's it right i think that's it too thank you everybody yep thank you guys and, uh, let us know what you thought about the matrix on facebook and instagram mm -hmm. and tiktok and all that stuff yeah if you saw the fourth one and you think jake and i are crazy for criticizing it pretty heavily yeah. let us know uh yeah yeah, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Yep. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>